Good afternoon, everybody. This is Rick Morin. I'm here with Chris Devon. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rick. How are you, my friend? I'm fine, and it's evening. We had a debate about this on (laughs) on my phone system that I'm on, uh, and uh, people were saying that the afternoon, I don't know, they all had different theories as to when the evening started. First of all, it's dark out. Number one. Number two, it is uh, after six Eastern time. I know some people are listening all kinds of all over the place. But tell them where we are, uh, Rick. Now, are, are you going to do this all night, just contradict everything I say tonight? Um, what do I usually do? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm used to doing this with Brian, and he's not here tonight. So, hey, so somebody has to be here to contradict you. Yeah, but it's, it's great to have you. This is really cool. Um, uh, you've been working at MBP, what, 40 years? Yes, and then just, again, this is the National Braille Press Gala. We're at the Western... What are we at? The Western... Um, Boston Waterfront Hotel. Uh, yeah, That's the Western we Waterfront. We're on Summer Street in downtown Boston. Right, sort of in South Boston. And um, we may get, we don't know, it's not confirmed, but we may get off to a late start because it's a little rainy out there. It wasn't supposed to be. The weather today said that it was going to rain in the morning and clear up. And I guess some people did see the sun, but then it went away and it started to rain again. And it's kind of windy and it's a late October uh, uh, night. <laughs> what are you going to do? So, um, we will see. I'm going to read you right now the program for the first part of the program, just so you know what's coming up, and then we'll have a little interview that Rick's got queued up in a couple of minutes. It says here, 6 p.m. reception. Enjoy cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, and good company while bidding on exciting mobile auction items. Yes, Chris, I have to say you're very good company. They're what? You're very good company. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and oh, and, and uh, he forgot to mention that I've been at NBP uh, last month. I celebrated my 40th anniversary. Well, congratulations. So. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I was telling him that the first day it rained then, too. And I was only working part-time for the first three months. But the first thing I read, which we didn't do uh, very much afterwards, was a, a Smithsonian magazine we did. And uh, that was I knew the job would be interesting after that and uh, it has been that's for sure chris has got an incredible memory he remembers almost everything I, I for- especially when it comes to sports and statistics and all that kind of stuff right i forget somebody said uh, i i think it was on uh, the tribute to our president marcia dresser who passed away uh, a year and a half ago and or just a little over a year ago but we did it uh, there was a tribute for her, and they said before wikipedia they would call me no, before so, Google. Oh, Google. Before that's Google. Before yeah, Google. you just see, called Chris. You know? That's right. Well, see, that's how much technology I know. Or Wikipedia <laughs> or Google. Now my phone doesn't ring as much. And I actually have a phone that does ring. So there you go. Uh, so continuing with the program, 7 p.m. we have uh, program part one, musical open. Wayne Piercy. Now, for those of you in ACB land, you probably remember the name Wayne Piercy if you've been at the conventions. Not last year. He was not in Minnesota, but he was at many conventions before playing the trumpet at the uh, showcase. Um, I know he was in, uh, I started to go to conventions in 2012, and he was there in, um, in Louisville and then Columbus and Las Vegas and Dallas. This year he did not make Minnesota. But Wayne Piercy is very talented, and he is also the husband of Amber Piercy, who's a co-worker with me in the proofreading department now, what's, fa- what's Wayne's favorite word? I don't know. Cats. 
cats? He calls everybody a cat. Oh, he, oh cat. Cool yeah, cat. You're, you're a cool cat. All yeah. right. Okay, so Wayne Piercy, and we're going to decide that her name, because we don't know for sure, Oviante Magsby. How do you, know it's, a, how do you know it's a she? Um, because... I think I heard her sing a little while back. I think ah, that gotcha. was her. She, she, she's doing the piano, right? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I heard well, somebody singing, I, and I thought that was live, but maybe it wasn't. I, I don't know. I, I know Wayne is being accompanied by a pian- pianist. Okay, then that's maybe he, he or she. We will, and we actually may not be able to tell you. Neither of us can see. And we're. And by the way, Rick does have some vision, but we're behind the stage, so <laughs> Rick's not going to see much back here. So uh, somebody will tell us later if it was a he or a she. No, it's uh, it's it's hysterical. You know they. <laughs> We are literally behind a curtain, which is directly behind the center stage. Pay no attention to those men behind the curtain. Yeah, so so I told Chris, I said, you know, when Chris has got a booming voice. I said, you know, when this thing gets going, we're going to have to be careful what we say and how loud <laughs> we right. say it. Because okay. they're, they're going to hear us over there. They, they will, but uh, they're already so busy. <laughs> anyway, welcoming remarks and acknowledgments are going to be by Susan Warnick. She started in, on WBZ Radio in the late 70s. I no, remember she, her there. She's, she's great. She, she's, she is. She's uh, she would then legendary. A she's part of the... Consumer reporter on Channel 5, Yeah, too, she's part of the, great the Hall of Fame, I think. Broadcast yes. Hall of Fame. Well, she should be believe. if she isn't. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So she is going to be our, our host this evening, hostess. Mistress of Ceremonies, it says here officially. Then we have a special guest speaker, Haben Girma. And she's uh, doing... Uh, well, you, why don't you talk a bit about Hobbin, just to because uh, you had a little experience with her. Yeah, I spent a good party yesterday with Hobbin. She is a deafblind woman who was the first deafblind graduate of Harvard University, Harvard Law School, in fact. She passed the bar in California, and she worked as a lawyer for Disability Rights Associates, DRA, for a while, uh, worked on several lawsuits. Now she's involved with education. And she's been to the White House. Obama has recognized her as a pioneer, a, a change pioneer, and uh, she, she's an, uh, an amazing person. She's everything about her is great. Uh, the one thing I will tell people that she did a TED talk or a TEDx talk two years ago about people's perceptions of lawyers. So she, she started talking about how people perceive lawyers, and then she layered on top of that the fact that she was disabled and how people perceived her disability. <laughs> and it was, it was fascinating. It was four, a, she, she would feel she had four strikes against her. By yeah, the time I mean, she, she's, she's just a, a fascinating, fascinating speaker. They're, they're going to have questions and answers at one point, and I think they're going to be people just um, charging up to the front of the room yeah, wanting normally, to ask, ask normally questions. When, yeah, normally when she... Uh, interacts with people, uh, people type in onto a keyboard and she reads what they said in Braille and then she speaks and she'll, you'll hear, she speaks perfect English. I did meet her briefly. Uh, she came on a tour a few months ago. So you'll be very impressed. But what she's going to do here, which always impresses people and many of us say, how can that be? Is she's going to read Braille. She's going to sit up there and read Braille and that gets them all excited when they come to these things. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you, before the dinner, there's going to be a fund book presentation, and Susan Warnick is going to host that. And fund book is the, you know, people giving money either to our children's book, uh, children's book club program, or to the um, 
books that we put out on technology and cooking and other life skills and and uh, it's the money that goes to that and we'll have a way for you to participate uh, all across the country around the world wherever you may be uh, when uh, when that is going on we're going to join the introduction of that for a special reason uh, when Susan starts to introduce it and then we'll do our uh, little fundraising spiel for a while and then um, but right now Rick has an interview with Bay State Council's president? No, 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 no. Brian McDonald's. Oh, that Brian. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was the Brian. No, when no, you no, say no, Brian. No, 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 no. Okay. You're, you're just, you just can't believe I'm on a first name basis with, your, did, with your boss. I just right? didn't know. <laughs> Nobody tells me. No, he, he just said Brian all that. Yeah, I yeah. promised to you guys he did. And when he says Brian, that's normally what he means. But he I means this time Brian McDonald, who is the president of National Braille Press. He started in 2008. Okay, I got it going. I got it going. Here we go. It's it's great to be here. Okay. We are thrilled to be part of this whole process with you. Well, it's we've been doing it for a number of years, as many of your audience may know. And and every year we try and find something a little different or unique. And and it, it always, knock on wood, tonight will will be the same way. That it's usually everyone leaves with a really good, warm feeling about Braille and our mission. Fantastic. Hey, Brian, last year we talked a lot about technology when we did this interview. You want to give us an update on what's happened since last year? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so last um, she March or April, I forget when CSUN was now, but the, the big accessible technology conference uh, was earlier this year in 2016. We, we launched our B2G, the Braille2Go uh, computer that is run on Android. And we also uh, introduced uh, a tactile caliper measuring ruler device for, for blind and uh, children and adults that uh, was really fun to launch and really exciting. Uh, CSUN was packed this year with a lot of uh, Braille focus and a lot of new products coming out. It was really exciting and, and our booth was swamped. We had two people there full time and we could barely keep up. So we did launch the B2G and we've been selling units to individuals and rehab agencies and across the country and companies and, and um, we're pleased with it so far and um, our customers like it and we continue to do new things with it because we're learning a lot as we explore with different apps that people ask about and testing things but we're very happy with it um, and and I think what, again what's unique about it if I give it two second pitch is that we wanted to be able to tailor it the way you want it as a, a consumer and so one person's a ham radio operator, so they found uh, Echolink, the app, Android app, and you could turn the B2G into a ham radio station, for instance. Cool. So those things are just fun to, to know that you have some flexibility with the whole Internet of Things going on today. I wonder if we could take one of them and turn it into an ACB radio studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Probably worth a try, you know. Yeah, and it has tune-in radio and things like that as, as apps that are on it. So, I mean, there are a lot of fun things you can do with it. Now, if, if someone's interested in buying one, what's Ladies the best way, or if they want to find out more about it, what's the best way for them to get information about it, Brian? Yeah, well, we, we certainly um, have our regular customer service numbers where people can call. Our website has 
a page dedicated to the B2G and it has frequently asked questions and specs. And we also have a YouTube channel that you can link to from there that has me doing some pretty crude, not <laughs> crude types of, because uh, I'm not a good producer, of uh, introductory videos on how to use it and different things you can do with it, um, which is very helpful. Um, but, but also, um, you know, people call us directly, especially on a technical base. We have um, uh, a blind techie from Canada who's our technical service support, and, and I take calls directly, too, with people and, um, on questions that they may have that are unique. So um, we're out there, and you can buy it directly on our web. You can buy it um, through PayPal that way. I, I, I want to emphasize that we don't use distributors for this. Um, we know it'll take longer to get out across the country that way and across North America. Um, but we wanted to keep the price down, just like our books that we try and sell them at the lowest price possible. If we added a distributor network or different states that do that, it would, it would add $1,000 to the cost to sure, our consumers. So Absolutely. So can you tell us what the price point is on that, Brian? Roughly? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's $2,495. Okay. So it's a fairly competitive price for what you get. And um, we'd love to make it lower. And ultimately, we will, I think, with new technologies. Now, are there any financing opportunities? I mean, can you pay over time or do you have to pay all up front for it? Well, you can with PayPal. We're not financing things directly through NBP, but but a PayPal option has, if you... Um, you have to create a PayPal account. Yeah, PayPal. But if you do it that way, yeah, and yeah, then you can, yeah, yeah. Um, if you pay over six months, you have no interest charged. If you want to do it for a year or two or some scheduled payments that you want to do with PayPal, uh, they do charge you an interest rate. But some of our customers clearly are doing it that way, and, and um, it's certainly available. It's great that you're using PayPal. Now, how about the Caliper? How's that doing? It's doing great. We've sold hundreds of them. Um, in fact, at, at CSUN, people were so excited. And if I can describe it, it's it's roughly the same length as a 12-inch ruler. And it has two uh, jaws so that you measure between the two jaws that stick out above the ruler. And one side slides like a slide reel would. So you have a fixed jaw on the left side, and then the right slide slides left and right up to 12 inches. And so you measure between the two calibers that stick out. And what's exciting about it is you have inch marks in braille but to measure in between that is always challenging as as people know this has a refreshable braille um, output on the slider itself that gives you the numerator to the 16th of an inch so you can measure like one two three four inches and then on the slider they'll say three for three sixteenths oh, so you cool. can measure to, accurately to the 16th of an inch and when people felt the braille change on the slider they were just like this is amazing this is so cool and we and we we retail it for $18. It comes with a, a case, you know, to, for kids to put in a backpack or something or to protect it, and and uh, it's doing really well. We're now looking at, we have a metric version we're creating um, um, that'll be in millimeters instead of sixteenths uh, of an inch. Um, and that's the next phase for to sell it worldwide because, you know, we're imperial measurement, but most of the world's metric. So right. that's the next phase. And I have to give credit to um, our partners are two grad students, postdoctoral students at MIT in engineering that created it. They're both from India. And so we made a partnership with them for exclusive distributorship. So it wasn't our, I'd love to say it's all our brainchild in NBP, but it wasn't. <laughs> but um, it's doing right. really well. But you didn't take it to Shark Tank or anything, right? No, we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and the only other thing in technology is we've been meeting regularly through our Center for Braille Innovation with um, potential inventors on new methods to raise Braille pens, which is really crucial from a cost point of view. And I just met literally last week with people from India that have created a magnetic way, magnetic actuator to raise Braille pens, whether it be in a Braille cell or clustered as a graphic output. And they they think uh, it's got some work to it, but it looks very promising that they can make a 20 cell Braille display for four or $500 retail. Wow. So that would be huge if we could pull that off and, and you know use that technology for our B2G as well or anything else we'd come up with. So we're exploring that and our friends at New Michigan are still working on a full page graphic output that um, is really promising using pneumatics. So we're testing all kinds of technologies that um, are innovative and unique that um, could ultimately find that search for the holy braille, that low cost full page braille or graphic right. output. Center for Braille yeah, Innovation. Sure. Now that's yep. the uh, that's the outfit that's run by Dean Blazy or what? Ladies well, and gentlemen, it, 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 our program I founded will it when I first started after minutes. a few months being here, and it's really a, a kind of a think tank. Uh, I look at NBP as the information broker for technology. We don't have all these engineers here, but we we're always you know searching the earth for new things that might benefit Braille or, or eBraille or, or different you know technologies like that. So we have a lot of volunteers, including Dean. Dean was my first person I called when we founded CBI. Right. And um, he flew up from Maryland and uh, spent the day with me and volunteered to be our, our point person, senior engineer. Um, he he um, his design for the B2G is really his. It's it's got a lot of his. Uh, as one person said, I see Dean's DNA all over this device because <laughs> they went back to the Braille and Speak days and everything else. So um, yeah, he's been very um, generous to us as a volunteer. Traveled all over the world with me to China, to all over the United States, and presented with us at different conferences. He's he's been incredible. Now, he's one, so, one of your awardees this year. Yes, uh, um, I'm really happy that both Dean and Joe Sullivan from Duxbury Systems are both getting uh, awarded together. Um, it, it's really an honor this year. The theme of our gala uh, tonight is, um, well, the unofficial theme, I should say, is Back to the Future. I don't want to get in trouble with Hollywood. But um, what we're doing is profiling both Dean and Joe from a hardware and software point of view that they were really the pioneers that really got Braille going in the digital world, you know, from translation softwares, of course, with Duxbury, but also with Dean's hardware from the Braille and Speak to actually having successful refreshable Braille devices after that. And what we're doing is showing their history and, and, and giving them credit for being those pioneers that are still relevant today and working today, both of them. Um, and then we've, we also reference our guest speaker tonight, who is Haben Gurma, who, who um, is an amazing deafblind woman, who gra the first woman to graduate from Harvard Law School. And we're showing how, thanks to their efforts in the early pioneer days of eBraille, she now can communicate and, and work effectively and independently as a deafblind person using Bluetooth and refreshable Braille and translation softwares. So it's really a nice pairing of the, you know, the back to the future unofficially. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Brian, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Yes. I, you know, it's great that we're here on ACB Radio 
providing all of this information to people that can't attend the gala. But we're also, we also want to encourage people, and we'll be talking about it uh, throughout the, the broadcast tonight, about how they can contribute or donate while the gala is going on or even after the gala. So even if you're not at the gala, by all means, please feel, feel part of the proceedings. And if you're inclined to donate, please do so. Yes, it is fun this year that we, uh, we thanks to you guys at ACB Radio, we had a great turnout last year uh, watching, listening to the um, to the event. And this year we think it'll be very strong because it's year two. It's like, you know, Pete and repeat. But, but now that we have an interactive component where people can use mobile platforms to actually bid on some of our silent auction items, it just makes it feel like they can be more part of it. And, and we have some exciting items that are out there uh, that I think are fun for people to bid on. So we're going to that next phase of increasing more audience participation nationally or internationally, even if they can. And um, we, we really want to keep ha- having that effort grow. But you guys have been terrific doing that. And I can't thank you enough. Well, Chris, I think we're back for a few short moments. And this program is going to get started here before too long. I heard the five-minute countdown. We're starting a bit late, as we did discover uh, it is a pianist. Okay, I guess they said five minutes. Um, It's (laughs) Wayne Piercy uh, on the trumpet and Oviante Magsby on piano. So Rick was right about the the piano part, and uh, I was not. In fact, that's Wayne that's playing in the background. Folks are filing in and will be underway here shortly here at the 2016 Million Laughs for Literacy Gala put on by the National Braille Press. They've been doing this for, I don't know how many years, at least 11. The first one they ever did was in 2001, and they had um, Eric Weinmeier. And I think they did it, I forget exactly where they did it. I didn't go, but actually I heard it on Talking Information Center. That was broadcast. And then in 2004, uh, they did one at the Cyclorama at the Museum of Science. Then the one I went to in 2005 was at Boston Garden. Uh, The Celtics hosted it. Wick Grosbeck was on our board at the time. And I think his wife is still involved with NBP uh, events. So I think it's, and then from then on, they've been doing them consistently. So they had a gap, but I think this is overall the 14th gala they've done. Good evening. And this is Kim Charlson, ACB president. And I'm so excited to be here at the gala with uh, Rick Morin, the indomitable ACB radio host and his cohort in crime here, Chris Devon. So... We're just about to start, I think, Rick. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's supposed to start any minute. Uh, I love hearing Wayne, by the way. Yes, uh, did you? I uh, hope you told them that Wayne is a is a good friend of ours. Oh, absolutely. Very talented musician. Absolutely. Blind musician and works at Berkeley School of Music. And for tonight, the important thing to know is that his wonderful wife, Amber, 
works at National Braille Press as a proofreader. And, so. and she actually started at Perkins, right? She did. She worked in the library with me and with Judy Cannon. And uh, I always like to say we taught her everything she knows. So MVP got a real deal. <laughs> She's very talented. I was thinking a lot about you when I interviewed Joe Sullivan. He was talking a lot about UEB and Bama. Uh-huh. And uh, the early days of UEB and all his involvement in uh. It's, so, gone, it's gone on for Joe Sullivan for a long time, definitely. He, he sounds like uh, he's just a very, very sweet man, for he's, sure. He's done so much for Braille all throughout the world. When you think of the, the computer coding in his head, I mean, it's just amazing. He's, he's created software that can take almost any language and create Braille from that, and it's just incredible. Yeah, he's one of the awardees tonight, along with Dean Blasey. And uh, we're thrilled as ACB Radio to be here. Um, this is our second year, and uh, I'm sure you're happy about it too, Kim, right? Well, I'm, I'm really happy about it because it gives ACB Radio an opportunity to kind of partner with um, other blindness organizations around the country where we can to, to bring those events that are such high-profile events to people who who don't have the the pocketbook and the wallet to, to come to this gala this evening. So it's it's really a great opportunity to just share what ACB Radio can do and what National Braille Press does. Now, do you have your eye on any of the auction items? <laughs> I've been trying to be good, Rick. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of taken with that, you know, the whole thing with the pay, pay for the opportunity to get your name in a Joseph Finder novel, you know, as a librarian. That would be cool. kind of fun. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I thought Brian might want the American Ninja thing. Yeah, well, good. I think he's not here tonight. He's on an airplane <laughs> flying home from Lansing, Michigan. So so I don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think they're giving us the countdown here. It was so. funny when I, I had an a interview with Brian McDonald, so I introduced Brian. Uh-huh. And Chris here said, oh, we got Brian Charlson here. <laughs> I said, no, no. no. Wrong Brian. Oh, wrong Brian. He he couldn't, uh, tonight, the important Brian is the yeah, one you were talking to. He couldn't understand why I was on a first-name basis. <laughs> that was pretty right. funny. Well, Ken, hey, thanks for, for stopping by. Well, thank by. you, Rick, for doing this this evening. And thank you, Chris, for uh, helping out. And uh, I think you're going to have a great evening. Thanks. I'm going to go find my spot and enjoy myself. Great. So, everybody, um, tune in, stay tuned in, and, and enjoy the evening with us. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kim. Please welcome Wayne Piercy and Ovanti Magsby as they perform a special piece they've composed just for our event.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the A Million Laughs for Literacy Gala to benefit National Braille Press. And now, here's our host, longtime Boston television personality and a friend of National Braille Press, Susan Warnick. Hi, everybody. Good evening. A big hello to everybody. That was incredible, you guys. What a delightful way to open the National Braille Press's 11th, A Million Laughs for Literacy. Let's hear it again. A fantastic performance of this special, special piece called Touching the Future of Braille by Wayne Pierce and Ovianti Magsby. You guys were terrific. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So hi, hi, yeah. I love the energy in this room that I'm feeling tonight. And it's wonderful to be back with all of you. And it's wonderful that all of you have chosen this here tonight and this great event as to how you want to su support literacy for blind and visually impaired kids by being with us tonight. It's going to be a fabulous night. Also tonight, this is huge, a big hello to everyone listening in from all over the country. For the second year in a row, NBP is partnered with the American Council of the Blind Radio to audio stream this event. So on the count of three, folks, let's give a huge hello to all of our friends around the country. One, two, three. Yeah. Hello, 
around the country. We're huge in Boston. We're missing you, but we're glad that you are with us tonight. We appreciate all who are here or listening, and I'm honored to have been invited back. Um, I missed it last year, but I was here two years ago, and a lot has happened in two years. I live in Florida now. Um, I'd like to thank all of you who asked about my mother. Myrna Billion, next February, will be 102 years old. I know, it's unbelievable. I know, thank you, thank you. She looks, she, she has a slight hearing impairment, but other than that, she's in great shape, and she looks 80. It is just a matter of time before people think that we're sisters. I'm already prepared for it. I know it's gonna happen. I have my response all worked out. And, I lo and thank you so much for even remembering me. I retired a couple of years ago from a 35 year career at Channel 5. And it's funny now, oh no, no, thank you, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's funny, I walk through the airport now because I travel back and forth between Florida and Boston a lot. And people will look at me, they'll come up to me and they'll go, what's your name? And I say, Susan Warnick. And they go, no, you're the other one. So now I say, yes, I'm Bianca. It's not that funny. To the people who are living elsewhere, are listening around the country, it's a little joke, it's a little Boston joke. Call me later and I'll explain it. So anyway, this is a wonderful night, it's gonna be a fabulous night, and we are going to raise some big money, I hope. That's why we really came tonight, because we wanna show our support for what we are doing. We have an outstanding night planned. You'll hear moving stories of success, highlighting how the birth of Braille technology four decades ago have come together and opened the door to literacy and equal opportunity for blind and visually impaired people. And tonight we get to see the future and the past of Braille. Such remarkable work is being accomplished by NBP, and I know that tonight you will be wowed. In addition to Braille books and materials, NBP has kept pace with this increasing technology-based world by recently launching its low-cost Braille device known as the B2G. Also, for years, NBP has relied on software to produce its Braille publications, and you will learn more about that later. For now, the best way to demonstrate the power of NBP's work, really, is to read you a moving letter from a parent about our Read Books program. This is a direct quote, ladies and gentlemen. Your book bag came today, and I almost cried. My son loves the bumpy book, and it's now in bed with him as he naps. As I watched his sisters try out the Braille toy and quiz each other, I realized that you'd sent me a greater gift. With that toy, his sisters had decided they too wanted to learn how to decode Braille, which meant they'd be able to write him messages, a secret alphabet for our family. Thank you for the part you play in our family's adjustment. Your organization is, in so many ways, helping give him access to the world. Thank you. From the mom of a fantastic four-year-old with Usher syndrome. I think you'd agree, this letter says it all. So with support from so many of you, NBP is able to provide affordable Braille books and promote Braille technology so blind children can learn Braille, learn to read, and ultimately grow up to lead productive, independent lives. 
Tonight you'll hear powerful stories of success and self-determination, and I'm hoping, as I said, that tonight we can raise the dollars needed so NBP can produce the tools which improve lives. And that's what it's all about tonight, ladies and gentlemen, improving lives. How is this evening even made possible? Well, I'm talking about our remarkable co-chairs for the event whose passion for our work sparks our loyal friends and engages new supporters every day. They are Tom Sullivan, the founder of Lumber Liquidators, who unfortunately was not able to be here tonight. His co-chair, Danny Hearsey, Senior Vice President of State Street Bank. Danny is here. Danny, stand up, come on, stand up and take a huge bow. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Danny made so much happen tonight. And of course, let's not forget our dedicated board of trustees who are passionate advocates for NBP's mission. Thank you for your leadership and dedication to this great cause. Tonight, we are also honored to have with us Bill Hayes. Bill, get this, Bill has been a dedicated trustee and member of NBP for what do you think, 10, 15, 20 years? Oh no, ladies and gentlemen, for 50 years. Bill, thank you for being such a great friend. Where's Bill Hayes? There's Bill, thank you, Bill. There he is, over in the corner, front row. This evening would not be possible, of course, without our amazing sponsors, and I wanna take a moment so that you know who they are. Co-chair sponsors, as I mentioned, Lumber Liquidators and State Street Corporation. Right to Read sponsors, the Grousebeck Family Foundation, John Hancock Financial Services. Hands-on Read to Achieve sponsors, Columbia Threadneedle Investments, Scripps Networks Interactive, Tufts Health Plan. Braille Matters sponsors, Sue and John Amateur, Anonymous, A. Eikhoff and Company, Ernst & Young, Danny Hersey, KPMG, O'Neill and Associates. Reading is for everyone sponsors. IBM, Norma and Tina Lang, Perkins School for the Blind, SFV, LLGC, LLC, and Xerox Foundation. Feel the power of Braille literacy sponsors. Ameriflex, NBA Cares, Douglas and Barbara Levine, Julie Pierog, Gina Russo, and Joseph Quinitiana, the Boston Red Sox Foundation. Thank you to these organizations that you see on the screen as well and in the program book. And please, folks, take a moment to look in the program book. We could not provide the Braille materials and resources to children and families without the generous support of such a caring community. Please, a huge round of applause for all of them. They made it happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce an amazing woman. Her name is Lisa Maria Martinez. She is an active trustee of National Braille Press, a member of the Great Expectations Advisory Committee, 
and NBP's Development Committee, an avid Braille reader and advocate for the blind, Lisa Maria is currently the Director of Community Services of the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco. So as we bring her on stage, ladies and gentlemen, let's not only give her a huge, warm Boston welcome, but let's thank her for all she has done for so many. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa, Lisa Maria Martinez. Good evening. Tonight, I have the privilege of introducing our special guest and speaker. Hobin Gurma is an amazing young woman who has accomplished so much. Her use of Braille helped her become the first deaf-blind graduate of Harvard Law School. What's so special to me tonight is having the honor of introducing Haben because I have known her since she was 15. Her tenacity and strength, bright mind and sense of humor have always been characteristics I have admired. I know that blind people can do anything. And I also know that blind people are ordinary everyday people. Some are even extraordinary. Haben is the perfect blend of that oh-so-cool ordinary friend and that oh-so-poised extraordinary young lady. Now, please put your hands together for Haben Gurma. wonderful introduction. My name is Haben Gurma. I work as an inclusion leader teaching organizations that disability is an asset. Students with disabilities especially need to hear this message. Disability is an asset. While in college, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. I'm deafblind. And I looked around for potential mentors. One weekend, I went to a leadership seminar for blind students. About 20 blind students from all over the country came together to learn from successful blind adults. A blind lawyer spoke at the event. He told us about his strategies for succeeding in law school the tricks he used when practicing law. He, after working as a trial attorney for several years, he began to lose his hearing. He told us that he stopped working because you can't do that if you're deafblind. That scared me. I went back to college with more questions. If he couldn't do it, then how can I? 
I was worried and started brainstorming, what can I do? How can I make this work? Throughout our history, moments like these have driven people with disabilities to innovate new solutions. A lot of the technology we use now has been inspired by disability. Take email. Vinton Cerf is deaf and one of the fathers of the internet. He wanted to find a way to communicate effectively with his wife, who's also deaf, and worked on one of the earliest email protocols. Now just about everyone uses email. In 1808, two friends, one blind, one sighted, wanted to find a way to produce print without using sight. Up to that point, many people had relied on sight to produce print. And they developed one of the earliest working typewriters. Now lots of people produce print through keyboards, and some of the fastest typists are touch typists. Braille is developed by another brilliant disabled person named Braille. And it's a tool that uses our sense of touch to communicate information. Disability drives innovation. Throughout my education, from first grade all the way through, Braille has played a critical role in ensuring that I have access to knowledge. Textbooks, exams, articles, my teachers, professors made sure that I had access to all of that information. At the end of college, I went to Harvard Law School. And before starting at Harvard Law School, I met with the administration. And they told me, we've never had a deafblind student before. And I told them, I've never been at Harvard Law School before. <laughs> We brainstormed all the potential challenges and all the potential solutions. I explained that I needed information in Braille, textbooks, essays, my exams, all of that. I also explained a communication method that I had developed, pairing a QWERTY keyboard to a digital Braille display allows me to communicate with people. People type on the keyboard, and through Bluetooth, that comes up in digital Braille. A lot of deaf-blind people use sign language, and a lot of hearing people don't know sign language. Until they all learn, they can use their typing skills to communicate with me. Harvard made the choice to be inclusive. Inclusion is a choice. It's up to communities to choose inclusion. Throughout its history, Harvard often did not choose inclusion. Harvard excluded women for many years, people of color, people with disabilities. 
More recently, they've been working to be more inclusive and celebrate diversity. And the rest of our country is slowly moving in that direction. I used Braille to communicate and to learn my material and graduated in 2013. I began working as a disability rights attorney. And last year, I went to the White House to help celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Before introducing President Obama at the event, I met with him and his senior advisor, Valerie Jarrett. We were in the blue room, and there was a table set up in the room where I put the braille display and keyboard. We explained that when he types on the keyboard, I'll be able to read his words in braille. As he typed, he witnessed firsthand the power of braille to bring people together. I told him, I had a wonderful conversation with Valerie Jarrett earlier, and we're wondering if you can type as fast as she can. <laughs> he took the challenge. He switched from typing with two fingers to typing with all 10 fingers. Inclusion is a choice. It's up to every single one of us to decide whether individuals in our community are gonna have the power and ability to gain access to information, whether it's Braille or other tools. And I hope you all choose to work to help your communities more inclusive. Thank you. Inclusion starts with every single one of you. So I'm going to give you all the opportunity to practice this, to practice choosing inclusion. We're going to do questions and answers. And we have the QWERTY keyboard here and a digital braille display. And when you type on the keyboard, your words will appear in braille. And I'll voice what you're typing on the digital braille display. So if you have a question, want to share something, raise your hand and we'll help guide you up on stage and you can type your question. Bill McPadden, what do you do for fun and excitement? <laughs> for fun, I love dancing. Dance is a form of sign language and a way of expressing joy. So with many of my friends, I go salsa dancing and swing dancing. 
And that's one way that people can come together and celebrate being alive and expressing joy. That's what I do for fun. How did you handle mock trial in school? Is it still Bill? No. No? It's Kate. Well, hello, Kate. Hi. <laughs> so, with many of the activities in law school, I used Braille. I had interpreters who would relay visual and audio information. So that's how I participated in mock trial and the other activities. My favorite class was negotiations, which involved breaking up into small groups and practicing making the best deal possible for your client. Thank you, Kate. I'm Deborah. What's the most important lesson you learned in law school? In my negotiation class, they said start the negotiation by seeing things from the other person's perspective. In preparing, list what are their interests, what are their goals, and look to try to maximize the pie for both parties. Rather than just pushing your point, you're more likely to reach an agreement if you look at their interests and find where you both share interests. So that was one of the lessons that I learned in law school. Brilliant. I'm Leslie. Do you like visiting elementary schools? I haven't visited very many elementary schools. I mostly work with adults, but yesterday, I visited an elementary school and gave a presentation for fourth graders. I was amazed at how fearless they were in asking their questions. They weren't afraid of offending me. <laughs> they were just wanting to know their answers. And with a lot of adults, adults tend to hold back, not really say what they're thinking for fear of offending someone. And I think people need to try not to not let fear control their lives and to instead work towards building bridges and bringing people together despite all the fears that we have. So fourth graders are great role models. 
I was in class with you. And when I got my dog, Debbie, at the seeing eye. And what's your name? Kathy. I just wanted to know how you have been doing in the last seven years. <laughs> because I thought your dog was so cute. <laughs> Given that you've seen many guide dogs, that's a high compliment. We're doing great. My guide dog, Maxine, is here and has been all over the country with me. She met a lot of fourth graders yesterday, and they loved petting her. And seven years ago was just before my last year of college, and I've had many, many adventures since then from learning to succeed in law school to finding my voice as an advocate and leader. Maybe we could talk more later after. I'm very proud of you. Thank you, Kathy. It's Susan. Again. You were amazing. This guy wants to know if you're, if you're single. Let's hear it for her. She's unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it for Haben. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Haben. And Cameron, her interpreter, Cameron, please tell her how much we love her as soon as you get back to the table. Just absolutely love her. Can I have my handheld microphone, guys? You promised me a handheld. Can I get that at this point, please? What we're going to do now, ladies and gentlemen, is what we came here to do. We are going to say a huge thank you to Haben, and we are going to continue the fine work that has been done by the National Braille Press. And I am going to come down into the audience because what I am going to do right now, frankly, is just ask you for money. <laughs> so if you could just take your credit cards out and hold them in the air, we'll have somebody come and collect them. <laughs> Isn't that a great idea? So 
So Susan and John Amateur, who I mentioned before as being sponsors of this event, are also making a pledge tonight of $3,500. And what they have said they would love to do, they are listening, by the way, by, through the miracle of ABC Radio. Hello, Susan and John, and thank you for everything. But what they have told me is that they will pledge $3,500 if I can get other people in the room to pledge $3,500. So ladies and gentlemen, is there anyone tonight in the room who can make a pledge of $3,500 to the National Braille Press and continue the tradition of helping to improve lives? Is there anybody here who can make a pledge of $3,500? Could you put your hand in the air, ladies and gentlemen? Anybody in the room? And then we'll have $7,000 just that quickly. And you will be amazed at how quickly it will add up tonight when we work together as a community. Is there anyone in the room Anybody at all get your hand in the air? Yes! And the number is number 348, and there is $7,000. $7,000, we start with $7,000. Is there anybody else at $3,500, ladies and gentlemen? Anybody else in the room? Number 348, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else at $3,500? I want to make sure that I don't let anybody out. Anybody? We have $7,000, so we start with $7,000. How about a thousand? Is there anybody here tonight? Well, at this point, I'm going to jump in and take the opportunity here to tell you all that there is a phone number that can be called. Were you uh, listening to us on ACB Radio? She said ABC Radio, but that's okay. It won't be the, the last time. Um, you out there listening to us uh, at your home, and you're only doing that because you weren't able to travel here to Boston to be at the gala, you can call us at 857-244-2650. And just a little background really quickly before we get to our next interview. The Kathy, who you heard up there asking Hobbin a question, is my wife. She did go to Seeing Eye in 2009 and got her dog, Debbie, when Hobbin got her dog, and... Uh, that was really cool. But Kathy will do that. She'll come out of the back of any auditorium and get into the show, if at all possible. <laughs> Again, Susan Warnick is out there. Just She's um, working the room. She's working the room pretty good. It's funny. We, uh, we're behind stage, but I do have a monitor in front of me, um, which they were so proud to show us, even though I can't really see it. But I, I see this blur of her doing the room. And she seems to be doing quite well. But for those of you at home, uh, again, call 857-244-2650, 857-244-2650. Uh, if you get a busy signal, just keep calling back. Uh, we've That's got right. We have people here in the hotel, volunteers who have are... are I, you can't man a phone anymore, can you? Do your personal phone? What do you What do? You do? I, I don't know, Chris. I, hell, I don't know. Don't really know. But they are doing whatever it is you do to a phone now so that they can take these pledges. And I know many of you out there have started when you were young reading things from National Braille Press. Maybe the Children's Braille Book Club. Uh, maybe as you got older, syndicated columnists weekly. The women out there are special. Um, the books that we do for the Library of Congress, of course, they pay for those, but it, it gives us money when we to do the other things we do. The uh, iPhone books, the technology books, the recipe books, the uh, all, all kinds of things. We do get money from outside contractors, yes, and from the Library of Congress, but we need to keep 
the other programs that we do, which is our real mission, to put Braille's, Braille in the hands of everybody who wants it and who needs it, uh, that's what we need this money for. Yeah, and uh, you know, one thing, too, uh, we, you know, we kind of inferred that you have to give us lots of money uh, if you call in. That's not the case at all. whatever you can afford, by all means, give us a call at 857-244-2650, 857-244-2650. There'll be people manning those lines all night tonight, uh, right up until we go off the air. Uh, Just one more thing before we bring our our interview ease in here. Hoppin talked about how she yesterday was with a group of fourth graders and how she spoke to them. Well, we taped her chat with these fourth graders, and one of the things that I've done is taken all of her answers to their questions and just put them together in like a dialogue form, or I edited out the kids' questions and just have Hobbin's answers. Um, you know, because Hobbin told us yesterday that many adults will think many of these things but won't ask them because of fear, just like she talked about tonight. So I felt it would be good to end the show. At the very, very end of the show, we'll play about 16 minutes of Hobbin talking to this four, these fourth graders, and you can just see how incredibly well she connected and engaged with these kids uh, and answered some questions that I think uh, a lot of you folks out there who are not blind may have but are afraid to ask. So stay tuned for that. That'll be right at the at the very end of the show. I'm Chris Devon. I don't think we've ever talked. No, we haven't. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you, too. I think you were at our annual meeting in June, were you not? I was. Okay. So you were there when a bunch of us were honored for 20 or more years, and I was the old guy who had been here for 40 years. Well, there you go. Congratulations for okay. all those years of service. Thank you. Uh, what got you interested in National Braille Press? Well, to tell you the truth, um, I had been reading... The weekly news magazine ever since I was a kid, ever since the first time I learned Braille, which was uh, at the age of 11. And um, this is going way back to the era of uh, Iarati and George Jean Laurentos. Yes. And this weekly news was the principal access to articles in the New York Times and uh, the Washington Post, things like that. So it was not only something which I enjoyed as a what we would call now a middle school student but it was also something that we passed around the old joke was that the weekly news was read by at least 30 people possibly on more than one continent because we passed it along and it would end up even overseas sometimes so we've come quite a distance since then when we were sharing hard copy Um, yeah, that, well, that's great. Now, did you go to Perkins, Nick? I did not. I went to the Boston Public Schools. Okay. And um, survived those. We had, we had great teachers in those years. We went from the what, what they call the eyesight conservation classes right into mainstreaming. I guess we could say we were the first generation in the mainstream, which was uh, quite a thing. Um, we I went to the James P. Timothy Junior High School in Boston and then to Rosendale High School. 
And uh, not only did I graduate from that public school, but at the Fifth Reunion, I met the lady who's been Mrs. Rash Otis for the past 44 years. So, all right, being mainstreamed has its advantages. That's right. So you, uh, she, she didn't notice you. You were the only blind kid, and she didn't notice you back uh, then. No, How there, did were, that work there were out? there were a few of us. There were a few <laughs> of us. But as she said, we moved in separate circles. She said I moved with the intellectuals, and she moved with the guys who were doing two to twenty at the Massachusetts State. <laughs> license plate. There, uh, Wal- Wal- up in Walpole, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, Cedar Junction, we say Cedar now. Cedar Junction is what you say now. Yeah, Walpole got very upset about yeah, us they did. saying Walpole. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, so you and I are about the same age. I am uh, going to be 67 next month. That's and right, and I turned 69 in November. 69, so there that, you that's go. That's an age magic to uh, Gronkowski, as you probably <laughs> heard. Right. Yeah, so so the, the deal is that, uh, yeah, I started looking at the weekly news in 1959. I was having trouble reading, and um, they said, well, I, that I was more, and I was already starting to get interested in, in the news, of listening to the radio. And they said, well, maybe he'll be more interested in reading something. So I was reading about Kimoy and Matsu and the bombing, oh, yeah, there you know, you go. all that stuff. And uh, it went from there on. So my first recollection of National Braille Press is about 1959. And uh, it's great to have that. And that magazine started, and the National Braille Press started in 1927. And it was in, on March 17, uh, 1927. They found some records of uh, a registration with the post office of National Braille Press sending out the weekly news. So it, we really are celebrating our 90th anniversary on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, there you go. So that's great. And then we stopped doing the weekly news in 1975 to start doing the New York Times for the Library of Congress. And we've been involved with their program ever since. But then, of course, we put out syndicated columnists weekly starting in 1983. And so that's kind of picked up the news tradition of NBP and kept it going. So, it definitely has. And um, I would like to say a couple of things to those people who are on the air. You're going to hear a lot of messages about how worthy we are of your financial support. But I really would like all of our listeners to be clear about the fact that we may be based in Boston, but we bring it to the globe. And we're not only interested in your financial support, which of course is invaluable, but serving on this board with so many talented people from all walks of life, many blind, more sighted, it is essential for us to hear what you want from us. We want to make what you need. And my message to uh, everyone, based on my experience at NBP as a board member and now as vice chairman of the board for so many years, is we want to hear your ideas. We'd love very much to have you complete the survey. We would like you to volunteer if necessary. I, we had a um, technology committee uh, studying the B2G, which you've heard about already, and that drew from people all over the country. So. Even though we have this group of very talented individuals who meet four times a year, we are so open to your ideas and so much want to be responsive to your real needs because the Braille that we're building is not the Braille of Mr. Iorati and the founders of National Braille Press. It's the Braille of the 21st century. And we'd very much like to have you be part of that process and standing behind me and I'm hogging all this time is Cliff 
who is the chairman of our board, and I, I'd, I'd like to have him have a chance to get his oar in here. You don't need to hear from me all this time. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Chris. Um, it's great to be here. I want to just echo a couple of things that uh, that Nick had mentioned about how we're helping the globe. Um, NBP does uh, do a lot of things internationally, and one of the things we've done recently is we've put together our um, uh, 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 measure uh, that allows people to who are blind to measure very accurately, and that's now being utilized across the globe. Uh, we're trying very hard to get the word out about MVP across the globe, and Brian does a lot of work with uh, working with uh, in, uh, international organizations to get our word out about who we are internationally. Locally, like Nick had said, we're doing a lot of things uh, locally in the United States across the country, and uh, one of the things that's really been important is getting our B2G off the ground and then also the business-to-business -business work that we do uh, with other organizations by helping to print Braille menus and business cards and other books that businesses use for, um, for their operations as well as printing signage for businesses um, so in, uh, blind employees can uh, have a productive workplace. So th the message that we're trying to mention here is that uh, MVP is about helping all of those across the country and across the globe, but more importantly, for those of you who are listening in tonight, we want to hear from you, and we want to hear from you at the board level as to what, what can we do better, what can we provide for the communities uh, that might need uh, services that we're not thinking of. And so you can easily provide that type of feedback. Um, there's uh, places on the on the website to send messages uh, or contact National Braille Press and, and give your feedback, and we want to hear uh, directly from you. Nick had talked about the survey that uh, has recently been or is recently being launched. Launched. That's another great opportunity. It's a very detailed survey asking uh, our large community whether it's our. Um, purchases of Braille materials or whether it's our volunteers or businesses who interact with NBP, uh, it gives you an opportunity to really tell us how we're doing as an organization and what can we do to do, uh, do the work that we do better. So that's another opportunity to hear from you uh, uh, at NBP. Okay, well, thank you, Cliff. Um, I, uh, that was great, and I think uh, people really have, as you say, have a real chance, and that's always been the case with National Braille Press, that we do listen to our customers, our consumers, and uh, everybody out there can certainly have input into what we do. That is, for those who joined us lately, later, uh, that is Wayne Piercy on the trumpet, who has appeared at many uh, ACB conventions in the showcase. Uh, and the pianist is uh, Oviante Magsby, or Oviant Magsby. And uh, they are doing Honeysuckle Rose right now and doing a good job at it. This event has been super so far. It's yes, yes. Um, I thought that the presentation by Hobbin was great. The questions, I didn't know they were going to, uh, I had talked to Joe earlier, and I did not know, because he's sort of the director or producer of this, I didn't know they were going to do the question segment, and, um, you know, that, that was a surprise to me. We are running a bit behind uh, to some degree, but it's, it's not terrible. I think they'll catch up. Let me uh, tell you about what's coming up after dinner. The people are having dinner right now, 
and I can even tell you what they're having. So those of you uh, at home can uh, figure that out. Uh, dinner break, and uh, let's see, let's find the menu here. We have the first course is field greens, orange filet, uh, toasted walnuts, brie cheese, balsamic, balsamic vinaigrette. Then, for the main course, the entree, we have a duet, a fresh er herb-infused beef tenderloin, Nantucket, Nantucket light baby scallops, maple glazed baby carrots, charred baby bell roasted uh, well, bell roasted peppers, I think that's what it is. Roasted butternut squash. Seared macare, M-A-C-A-I-R-E, don't ask me. Potato, but it's a, it's a potato. I eat it. I know what they are. And uh, reduced blackberry red wine. And for dessert, they are going to have another duet. So, really, they end up with a quartet, which is really cool. Of praline chocolate mousse in a uh, ballerina cup. Now, hopefully, for all the blind people that are trying to eat, it won't dance around their plates. Uh, let's see. Shooter of lemon mousse with blueberries. A shooter? Yeah, a shooter. They're going to, that between the wine and the shooters, they're going to be doing good. You know, all right. wow. Lemon it's been, mousse with I haven't blueberries. had shooters since I was uh, young. <laughs> and pistachio cake and lemon zest. And the vegetarian entree is, it's vegan. It's gluten-free or nut-free. Options available upon request. And I guess that's that's it. I think really that I had heard because a friend of mine is here who's a uh, vegan. And I think that the scallop, the uh, vegetable items that I mentioned after the steak and scallop are what they're getting for the, uh, the carrots, the peppers, the potatoes, and the squash are what was called a vegetarian triangle. Now, I'm a meat eater myself. I would think that would be like being thrown in the Bermuda Triangle if I had to go into that triangle. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we uh, can tell you the phone number that we would like you to call to, um, and then we're going to give you a bidding thing. There's a silent auction. It's been online for quite a few weeks. But let's do the phone number first for the... Uh, contributions you can make directly to this event tonight. Uh, it is 857-244-2650. Yeah, 857-244-2650. Yes, we did it together. There we go. And we've only been working together an hour and a half. This yeah, is a, we're doing pretty good. beautiful friendship. And just remember what Nick was talking about and Cliff was talking about, that National Braille Press is here to serve you. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you'd like us to do. We have um, put out different books because people suggested them. Uh, we have the B to G that's coming along, which is uh, a, a, an amalgamation of many years of research by other others, building on the shoulders of others to uh, create that note taker. We have the caliper that Cliff talked about, which people who are involved with math feel is very uh, very helpful to them. And uh, those things are going on. We we have the silent auction, and I found the website. You can go uh, you can go online and do this. And let me uh, find. I, I wouldn't be able to read you all the items they have. There are many. There are opportunities for various things. I'm sure local and national. Uh, 
and I'm looking for it, and I know I had it a moment ago. Uh, okay, here it is. It, it is http colon slash slash www.bidding for good, the word for. So it's bidding, B-I-D-D-I-N-G, the word F-O-R, the word good, G-O-O-D, dot uh, com slash all caps NBP slash cap braille 2016. It's a little long, so uh, let me do it again. HTTP oh wait, HTTS is that, is that valid? No, it's HTTPS. Yes, HTTPS. Sorry about that. Yep. Uh, colon slash slash www.bidding the word for good dot com slash all caps NBP slash cap braille and then 2016. That auction is open until 9.15 Eastern Time. So you don't have too long if you want to go online and check out all the cool stuff they've got. They've got some good opportunities. Many local, but I'm sure there's some that could be expanded to national. But the national number we're, we're concentrating on for, bid, for uh, donating is 857-244-2650. Okay, Rick, what, what you got to say? Uh, you're doing pretty good for a first-timer here, Chris. Well, one time, let me tell you a story. <laughs> One time back in 19... We used to have a show on WBUR here in Boston. Well, he's, he's laughing because I've always got a story. No, I, I should know better. WBUR in Boston, we had a show called Sound Service. This was the old Blind Leadership Club, and it was Pledge Week. And so they said, come in and talk. And two or three of us did this. Uh, we sang, uh, you know, and, and we did this, gave the number, and talked. And I thought it was fun because it was my first time to like, like get to really ad-lib on the radio. And I thought it was, I had taken courses to get into it, but I never really did. So this is not, you know, quite the first time, but it's, it's something that I enjoy doing. And, and sometimes I'm sitting there listening to people do this and say, why didn't they mention this? Why didn't they mention that? Well, now it's my own fault. When I listen to the archive, I can say, why didn't they mention this or whatever? <laughs> okay, it's my turn. I'm going to turn your mic off. <laughs> well, there's that too. He is the. I am the the loyal sidekick. Yeah, I'm turning. I'm, I'm turning your mic off here for a <laughs> sec. Hey, everybody! Again, the number is eight five seven two four four two six five zero eight five seven two four four two six five zero. And it doesn't really matter the size of the donation, just the fact that you donate and they get your name on a mailing list so that they can keep sending you mail about donating again and again and again. No, I'm only kidding, of course, but uh, please uh, support NBP. A lot to happen here still tonight. We still got our awardees, which are Dean Blazy and Joe Sullivan. And I had the opportunity to sit down with both of those gentlemen, do some interviews. So what we're going to do here to make it a little bit less noisy for everybody, uh, for our listeners and for Chris and I, is we're going to put those interviews on right now, uh, Dean and Joe, and then we'll come back at you. You're listening to the 2016 National Braille Press Gala, the Million Laughs for Literacy Gala here at the Weston Hotel at the waterfront in Boston, Massachusetts. I have the pleasure of being here with Dean Blasey, who's one of the trustees of the National Braille Press and one of the award recipients uh, at tonight's gala. Hi, Dean. Hi. How you doing? Good to see you, Rick. I'm doing very well. 
Dean, you've had a very great career. Can you capsulize uh, what you've been able to accomplish in your career? Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've really enjoyed my career, by the way, not just uh, in terms of success, but it's just been very rewarding and, and successful, too. So it really started off when I was in high school and I met uh, a blind man, Tim Cranmer, who was an inventor and a tinkerer. And I worked for him for about four years, actually about almost six years on Saturdays. He called me his Saturday boy. And that's really what started things. And uh, I started building things with him and then eventually uh, building things for him. Uh, in the meantime, I was going to the University of Kentucky working on an engineering degree. And uh, so I was able to actually uh, help design some of these things. Little things like uh, he used to build the say winds liquid level indicators and some page markers for recording uh, recording sounds on tape recorders back then mostly cassettes so just things like that yep and then, and then when i graduated from school and went to the army and got out and worked for the government up and up here in maryland um i started uh i started building things and selling them and that led to a, me developing another company, well, Maryland Computer Services, a company that I stopped working for the government to, to start. And we started building uh, talking telephone directories and talking word processors and talking computer terminals. All this equipment was based on Hewlett Packard desktop calculators and, and terminals. We sold a good number of them and the company did well for a while until uh, we had borrowed a lot of money from banks to fund the company, and interest rates went up to 22% under uh, Jimmy Carter. And we, we found, we eventually found ourselves in serious financial trouble. So we managed to sell the company at the last minute, and I started Blazy Engineering. And that's when I developed the, uh, the Braille and Speak, which I'm sure everybody knows about. And that led to the, the Braille Blazer, a nice embosser which I'm, I'm sorry to hear is no longer on the market. It's really unfortunate. I still think there's a, a good market for a low-cost, uh, small, portable, like almost portable uh, Braille embosser. And then there was the Braille Light series, which uh, were the Braille display series that when Telesensory stopped making the uh, the Versa Braille, uh, we we picked, that, picked up where they left off and made the Braille Light, and uh, that was a pretty big success. So all of this was a lot of fun, too. I really enjoyed uh, most of it, at least. Going out of business the first time wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> Having to fire half of your staff in one afternoon was really not a lot of fun. But, you know, I survived through it somehow and started over, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I might add that NBP, National Barrel Press, has given me a chance to uh, sort of get back into it, at least enjoy uh, the last five or six years developing the Braille to go. I've done it as a volunteer, but it's equally as a, uh, equally fun for me. Yeah, you, you set up my next question very nicely, Dean. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated in terms of what the development cycle looks like for something like uh, Braille to go, uh, the BDG. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. It started when... Uh, Brian McDonald became uh, the new president at National Braille Press, and he wanted to get into the 
the digital age, what he saw was that uh, print media, whether it be printing printed braille on a paper or print media in general, is going away. Um, not that print braille ever will, but it's a good good likelihood that eventually someday it might. Anyhow, Brian wanted to get into the digital age and start printing less braille on paper, if possible, and more uh, digital braille. So that's what led to uh, a meeting we had up there with, uh, well, I guess, four or five of us from the industry. I remember Noel Runyon was there and a few other people. And we talked about things we could do in the long run, like develop a full-page braille display. And we talked about things we could do in the short run. And to me, the short run was like within a couple of years. And the braille to go kind of came out of that. Right. And unfortunately, it took a lot longer than a couple of years to develop. I underestimated that project uh, considerably. Normally, I'd make all the decisions on my own with engineers and blind people that I worked with this. And this was a little different. I did it long distance. But anyhow, it ended up taking, instead of two years, it took us about five years to, from when we really started on it, to finish it. Uh, but I also underestimated the technical part of it. It, it was a, it's technically, it, it was a very difficult problem compared to uh, the Braille Light and the, the other products which we had developed. Uh, the, the newer technologies are much more difficult, uh, they're much more complex. You're dealing with a lot more memory, a lot faster processors, much more complex processors, printed circuit boards that are probably 10 times as complex as the, the most complex Braille light model that we ever produced. So we ended up taking a lot of time. I, I don't mean to drag this on, but... That, that's my short answer. In terms of coming up with the specs, the engineering spec, how you define the functionality and, and all of that, how did you go about uh, doing that? Yeah, well, we had a we had a group of us. It wasn't just me. It was a, uh, a group of other people. Most notably, Noel Runyon uh, worked pretty closely on this. He, he's the one who said this is what the key, key layout should be. It really takes a blind person to design a good product for the blind. And, and I always lucky to have, you know, Tim Cramer, Fred Gassoni, and a lot of blind employees that I could go to and say, what do you think of this? Um, and, and Noel essentially did that function. He, he helped, he, he laid out the keyboard, absolutely did. He built several models out of wood and, uh, it got the keys just right. And we went back and forth on it, of course, how the keys should feel, how much force, uh, the cursor pad that goes in between dots one and four, uh, that was all Noel's idea and how they should feel and the size of it. And so all of that took a lot of time too. It wasn't, it wasn't really quick. Uh, right. I, I remember we labored over that keypad and the basic design of having the keypad just slightly raised up over the braille display. And we talked a long time about having the braille display in, in the front or having it in the back. And, uh, I think we, we made the decision of having it in the front it was actually actually that was a pretty easy one, but we did consider other other ways of doing it, and the cursor routing keys and uh, my my contribution there was keep it really simple. I didn't want a whole bunch of buttons over the front face and uh, you know twenty or so buttons all over the place. I, I just don't 
I, uh, personally, I like it a real clean, simple keypad. Now, some blind people like to have, you know, lots of extra keys for function keys and stuff, and that's okay. It just wasn't wasn't my idea. I don't know how you feel about that, but no, simple, uh, simple is fine with me too. Believe me. Yeah, I, I really liked I really liked the looks and the simpleness of the original Braille and Speak, but adding dot seven and eight were absolutely necessary with the more complex uh, command set that you have to have right. with Android. So that that's that's why we added those. And of course, the cursor left and right, uh, the uh, pan left and right keys by the Braille display are pretty common. But it was done by a committee. I mean, we had a lot of people discussing it and uh, picking a name for it and what the spec should be. And don't forget back then, when we started on this, it was before there was a Jelly Bean. It was, uh, I forgot the previous name of, of the Android release, but there was no Jelly Bean. Right. So we started out with that, and, and of course we, we ended up at Jelly Bean. And we're working on putting newer newer versions of Android onto the machine. Probably nothing is nothing like what you see in the current release of Android, but at least trying to get all the accessibility hooks built built in that are there. Because that's what really makes it easier to use. Now, from an a application standpoint, um, is there any limitations in terms of the apps that run on that thing? Uh, there, yeah. There's obviously uh, you're not going to be able to play uh, Angry Birds right. in, in games like that. But uh, aside from that, aside from strictly visual apps, um, there are other apps that just won't run on it because we're we're in an older version of Android. Although though, although those are relatively uh, few, there are some of those. Um, and there's some apps that are just not written to be a very accessible. So when you try to read a field, it may be a graphic field that they did not put a uh, uh, a tag on that that we we're able to get to and read. So some of those are not are not accessible. It's kind of like Windows. You remember when Windows? Uh, the struggle we've had using Windows all through the years. Oh, yeah. If people don't write, if people don't write apps that are accessible um, or web pages that are accessible, then um, of course it goes to say that they're not accessible. And that's you, you have that in Android too, although much less of it, I think. But it still happens. What was your involvement with National Braille Press prior to the, well, let me ask it differently. Are there any other initiatives at National Braille Press that you're involved with? I know uh, there's, what, the Center for Braille Innovation? Yes, there's the Center for Braille Innovation, which was started, uh, uh, I guess Brian McDonald started that. Uh, and I've been, I've been, uh, I've been on that project, other projects in there. We we spend a lot of time build, trying to build a full page braille display, um, a, a mechanical sort of semi mechanical version of it. And so far, that has not produced anything. What it has produced is another way not to make a braille display. It's very complex mechanically and. Um, it just taught us more and more about how difficult it is when you want to control, you know, 8,000 pins. Right. It's, it's 
it's a, a very complex problem. Uh, statistically, it's hard to get 8,000 things to work all the time, you know, like 99% of the time. And if you throw in mechanical systems within that, it's even more difficult. So we spent, uh, we spent a good deal of time, probably two or three years of time, uh, trying to develop an, another version of that. We've learned another way not to do it, that's for sure. And that's valuable. Well, in terms of funding, you know, one of the things where uh, obviously the gala, uh, the purpose of the gala is to raise money for National Borough Press. And we're also allowing folks to uh, reach out uh, over the Internet and call us online to uh, to make donations. So if you want to make a donation earmarked for Center of Braille Innovation, by all means, please do so. And uh, it'll be put to good use, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't realize that that, uh, that, that was a possibility, but that's a good point. Uh, yeah, Brian has a lot, of, uh, a lot of projects he'd like to do and a lot of things. He's a, sort of an energizer bunny when it comes to a project like this. He really likes to get a lot of things done, and he's done pretty well. Yeah, when I spoke to Brian, he was talking about a group in India that had some Braille display that was uh, based on magnetics. Yes, uh, I saw that last week, and uh, it's it's an interesting device that actually appears to work. I mean, I saw a 20-cell display prototype unit, and it, it did push pins up and down, and they, they felt okay, and they were quick enough. It, it refreshed your display in about two-tenths of a second or less, and that's, that's pretty fast enough. Uh, it was, I don't know really how it works other than they said it was based on magnetics, but they wouldn't tell us the details. And it's a good chance it will be, uh, National Braille Press will be working with them in a collaborative effort using Android. So that's just, uh, that just started last week. Cool. Well, hey, Dean, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. And congratulations again on your award. And we wish you nothing but the very best. Thanks. Okay, thank you, Rick. I really appreciate your call, and it's nice to, uh, nice to be in the industry still. Okay, everybody, I'm sitting here with Paul Parovano. Hi, Paul. Hey, Paul, what's your involvement with NPP? What, what exactly is So, Rick, that? I'm on the board of trustees, and I've served on the board uh, for maybe close to 20 years, 15, 20 years. I served as its chair for about six years, and I'm a, uh, also a customer, consumer of the Braille books that NBP uh, produces. So in a number of ways, I'm very closely connected with NBP. Great. So uh, what's your impressions of tonight's gala? It's great. The food is great. And the enthusiasm to give is also fantastic. I was really impressed being in the audience with uh, with uh, Susan Warnick's ability to go around and motivate people to give after they had heard from our uh, main speaker. It was really impressive to be in the audience and feel the momentum that she was able to drive and uh, convince people to share some of their hard-earned money with the important work that's going on at MVP. Yeah, Hobbin was great, wasn't she? Yes, she was fantastic. She, she was incredible. Uh, 
the, uh, I was with her yesterday when she was at that school with the fourth uh, graders. Yeah. And uh, fabulous. At, at the end of the show tonight, I've got all of her answers to the kids' questions that we're going to play at the end of the show. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, you, know, you know, there's nothing like working with uh, little kids, young people, because they're not afraid to ask the key questions that sometimes adults are afraid to ask. And uh, that's how kids get educated about the fact that people with disabilities have just the same capability to contribute in a variety of ways, and she's doing it in a very powerful way. Yeah, it was it was so incredible. These kids were so engaged, and it just really yeah. underlines the fact it's that a wonderful thing exposed at an early age, you know, in an elementary school. Yeah, uh, it's just natural for these kids to to you know wonder and uh, uh, and. and and ask the yeah, right questions, exactly. and uh, it, it was it was and, phenomenal. And that's how you change perceptions, Rick. You know, you get people who wonder. Who, uh, kids ask me very basic things about how I know where my house is or how I get dressed in the morning, all that kind of stuff, because they can't imagine how they do it without sight. Right. So it's really good for them to ask those questions, and I'm glad she was there to do that. Yeah, well, Hoppin was great because she kind of dispensed of that early. She took those, she talked about all that herself um, and, you know, explained it, you know, pretty simply that, um, that she's very creative and that, uh, you know, she had a very supportive family and, and that there was always a way that they could find to do things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, she, she did many of the same things as, as other people do, only yeah. differently. And uh, so the, the, uh, the questions were just, uh, were just very, very insightful questions by the kids. So, hey, Paul, I, I think they're calling everybody back. Okay. So thank you very much for stopping by. I'm and delighted to be here. Thank you for making this available to people around the country. Very proud of the work that NVP does, and thank you very much, Rick, for speaking with me. You're very welcome, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye now. All right, Okay, thank you. All right. Okay. That was Paul Paravano. And uh, coming back. Yeah, here comes Chris. Here I am. One last uh, shot at that phone number as people take their seats. <laughs> Eight five. <laughs> hey, that's what you do. Eight five seven two four four. Two six five zero eight five seven two four four two six five zero. If you'd like to contribute to NBP, and if I can quickly do this, I want to tell you what the last part of the program is. Uh, we they have had dinner. They're all happy now. A twenty five part two of the program begins with hands on award presentation to Joe Sullivan and Dean Blazy. And you already heard from. Uh, Joe Sullivan, uh, I mean Dean Blazy, and you'll hear from Joe Sullivan. Rick has an interview with him that he will play you later. Uh, the mobile auction closes at 9.15. That was the website I gave you earlier, and if we have time, I'll give it to you again if you want to go online and do that. And then we have our comedian, A Million Last for Literacy, Jack Gallagher. And I know I read on the invitation that he has appeared with uh, Jay Leno and Johnny Carson. Not necessarily in that order. And uh, he, I guess, is uh, well-known. I, and I guess he's in the show... Oh, I forget that. Somebody told me the name of the, the show that he's in. And now, of course, I've forgotten because I don't watch much TV. But uh, he's apparently on a show as a pretty much of a regular, even now. And then the, there's a live auction, and we'll have some programming 
for that. I guess Jack Gallagher is going to be involved in that, according to this. And then the theory is that 9.30 is the thank you and good night time. That is not going to be true. Because the program is running about 15 minutes behind. But, but it is the time that you're going home. That's what they're they're going to say anyway. <laughs> and what, that you're going home at 9.30? I'm going home. I have to get the, ri- the ride. You guys around here, <laughs> well, everybody knows about paratransit. My pickup's at 9.35 because the invitation said 9.30. So that's what I did. But uh, And I, again, will hook up with my wife, Kathy, and we'll be going home. An earlier participant in the show, as we found out. So, And many of you around uh, the country know her, too. So, again, don't forget that phone number, 857-244-2650. And let me find you the website for the auction that ends at 9.15 Eastern Time. It is... Uh, where is it? Uh, they stuck it in the middle of the page. There it is. HTTPS. S is it Sam. Colon. Slash. Slash. WWW. Dot. Bidding. The word for. Good. G-O-O-D. Dot. Com. Slash. All caps. NBP. Slash. Cap Braille. 2016. So that's quite a uh, keyboard full. But if you want to look look for, uh, have a chance to bid on any of the items, uh, you've got a little time left to do that. Rick, we got some, another customer, or what do we got? Nope, 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 nope. Somebody, nope. you know, we have, they've had a cocktail hour here, folks. We have people wandering by and just just talking to us a little bit. No, uh, when they no, find us, we're behind uh, a curtain, so they yeah, don't know why, right where we are. We're backstage. so We're backstage, but somebody just went through. Uh, Rick, what would you like to say? I guess we got a minute or two. <laughs> what, do I, what would I like to say? I, I don't know. I'm exhausted listening to you, Chris. <laughs> well, it's it's called Frustrated uh, DJ 101, I think that's what you call it. Um, this is something I always wanted to do, and uh, I've done it a limited bit, uh, as I said, on Sound Service, the old show we used to have. I did it on Council Connection for a while. And um, I always thought I couldn't get a word in edgewise with Brian. <laughs> yeah. And, but I'm going to leave. See, you're going to have the whole last hour I to yourself. Know. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and you did all the interviews earlier and uh, certainly did, a, am sure, a fine job with Paul. I couldn't hear it because I was in the back. And then um, later, he is going to have Lisa Maria Martinez live. Uh, oh, when yeah. time yeah. permits. Yeah. And uh, that'll be fine. That It will happen. It's just a question of exactly when the program uh, moves right. along. We want I you guys to, ask, to be able to hear I want to ask Lisa Marie what Hobbin was like when she was a lot younger. Said she's known Hobbin since she was 15. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure Hobbin was a lot of fun. Because <laughs> Hobbin sounds like a really neat person. And she fielded those questions and did an excellent job. And again, Rick will play you later on. I think it's the last uh, something to stay tuned for. Uh, her current conversation. What school was that at, Rick? It was the Driscoll Elementary School in Brookline. Okay. And, and that'll be coming up uh, after the uh, pro towards the end of the program. Yeah, uh, we, we might play it as the um, as the uh, auction is going on. Right. But right. It, it was interesting. It was fourth graders because I don't know about you, Chris. Fourth grade was the toughest grade for me. And my kids just had terrible time in fourth grade. And, uh, I mean, these kids were really, really seemed well-adjusted. And there were a few kids in the class that were uh, intellectually disabled, which was kind of interesting. And they and they asked questions. And uh, Okay, here's our program, folks. Okay, guys, here we go back. Hi, everybody. 
Hello again. Shh, shh, shh. Hi. You may remember me from before dinner. I hope everybody enjoyed dinner. Can we take a minute to say thank you to the amazing staff here at this hotel? The wait staff does a wonderful job, and we appreciate it. Thank you. I have wonderful news to report. And I want to, as I do, I want to thank you again for your generosity with our Fund a Book, Fund a Book program tonight. We raised $40,000! So, yeah, give yourselves a huge round of applause. That's just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And as I mentioned, there are still cards on your tables for those of you who feel like you didn't have the opportunity to donate. We don't want to leave anybody out tonight, that's for sure. Many of you may remember an amazing story, um, inspirational story of triumph, a remarkable teenager by the name of Connor McLeod, who successfully championed Australia to modify its currency for blind and visually impaired individuals. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you had not heard, on September 1st, the tactile $5 banknote officially launched. Right. As Connor said, he will now know who is generous or who is cheap at Christmas. And Connor, if you are listening to us tonight, and we hope you are, we are all so proud of you and cannot wait to see what you do next. We also wanted to share that National Braille Press is excited to be invited to be a part of the John Hancock nonprofit Boston Marathon program for 2017. Over the last, yeah. Over the last four years, our participation, folks, has raised close to $90,000 for NBP. And we're honored not only to have folks from John Hancock here with us tonight, but also the Marathon Race Director, Dave McGilvery. Dave, where are you? Where's Dave? We know you're here. There's Dave. Thank you so much, Dave. And Tom Grilk, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the BAA. Tom, thank you. Where's Tom? Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you, Tom and Dave, for all you've done. We also have three former runners in the room tonight, and I'd like them to also let us know where you are so we can say thank you. Chris Cavallarano, Rich Gilrath, and Aaron Connors. Where are Chris, Rich, and Aaron? Where are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Excellent job. If you'd like to be part of our marathon team this year, folks, please check out your program because that's where you can find more information. And now, as we continue with our program, it is my honor, my thrill, and shh, thank you. You don't want to miss these next two speakers because they are truly amazing, and I am delighted to be the one to introduce them as we welcome back to stage Haben Gurma and NBP's president, Brian McDonald, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Hello. Well, 
welcome to the 11th annual Hands-On Awards. I'm honored to have been invited to participate in the presentation of the awards this year with Brian McDonald, NVP's president. The Hands-On Awards honors those who have made a difference in Braille literacy, empowering blind children and adults. Thank you, Haben. Tonight's, tonight's unofficial theme is Back to the Future because our two awardees, Joe Sullivan and Dean Blasey, were the pioneers in accessible technology between 30 and 40 years ago. And they're the ones that worked and changed the lives of blind people around the world. <clears throat> it's true, the technology developed by these two brilliant engineers has made a huge impact in the lives of Braille readers. As a deaf-blind person, their tools today give me access to the same information as everyone else and helps remove barriers for me. And it's great to have you here tonight, Haben, and to hear your story, how you benefited from their groundbreaking work. Their achievements in software and hardware have paved the way for blind people in education and the workplace. So Brian, I understand you've known both Joe and Dean for many years. I'm hoping that you will share some highlights on these two impressive awardees. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Joe and Dean uh, over the past few years. Both have received numerous awards and recognition for their achievements, but yet they are two of the most humble men I have ever met. It's my pleasure to tell you a little bit about our first awardee, Joe Sullivan. Early on in his career, Joe Sullivan was part of the team at MITRE Corporation that developed the DOTSIS 3, the first Braille translator written in a portable programming language. Then Joe was instrumental in developing the original Duxbury Braille translation software in 1976. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I lost my place in my little phone. Sorry about that. Today, Duxbury is used to translate Braille into 137 languages. NBP relies on Duxbury software to produce millions of pages of Braille every year. Joe's work has increased both the availability and the accuracy of Braille production around the world. He continues to be a strong advocate for improving access to information for the blind, and he also believes the key to literacy for the blind is Braille, and we certainly agree with that. And like you, Haben, Joe is a recipient of the White House's Champion of Change Award, he was recognized and honored for leading education and employment efforts for Americans with disabilities. Congratulations, Joe. Thank you so much for that introduction, Brian. Uh, I am certainly grateful to receive this honor. And 
very humbled when I think back to how much it really belongs to so many others who have been there over the years, time and time again. First, there was Bob Gilday, who introduced me to Braille in 1969 and, and who led that group at, at MITRE Corporation, together with a group at, uh, at MIT, led by Robert Mann, that brought out the original DOTSIS, which became the forerunner to the Duxbury Braille Translator. <clears throat> Later in 1975, Ann Simpson, a professor then at MIT, would join with Bob and me to found Duxbury Systems. But the real hero of that particular event must go to my wife, Jen, who... <laughs> despite the fact that there were six small children at home <laughs> and a new house to pay for, which we needed because we, we had so many children, gave the go-ahead to found what was then not just a new company, but actually a new industry at the time, a, a, a small company to produce software that would enable conversion between print and Braille. Since then, as you've heard, we've gone on to support Braille in, in over 130 languages. And the number of people that I would have to thank for enabling that work has grown exponentially, well beyond my ability to name them all individually. Certainly my family has been supportive throughout the growing pains of a small company, and some of them are part of our team at Duxbury, now headed up by our oldest son, Peter. Sure, I'm described as the original architect of the Duxbury Bell Translator, which was perhaps true way back then. <laughs> But today's DBT mainly consists of, of uh, work that reflects the contributions of others near and far. That includes our team at Duxbury, of course, but also the vital support of colleagues and customers through many of whom are more properly described as also colleagues and as partners across the globe. And in that respect, I have to give special credit to the National Braille Press, which became one of our earliest customers thanks to Bill Rader's commitment to innovation, an MVP tradition now ably carried on by Brian McDonald. Over the years, NBP has been supportive not only as a customer, but also as a partner, providing both encouragement and enormously helpful feedback as to what is needed by a team of transcribers dedicated to providing Braille of the highest quality to their readers. As a parent, grandparent, and great-grandparent who believes deeply in the importance of literacy to children's education, I love the books that my NBP produces, many of which are on your tables now that enable parents and their children to read together, even if one of them is blind. It has been a privilege and an honor for many years now to be a small part of NBP's work. And for that reason, this honor has very special meaning to me and to all of us at Duxbury. 
thank you, National Braille Press, for being here for all of us. Thank you. It is incredible to get to meet the individuals whose groundbreaking technology is still at work in the tools I use today. This device, Braille Note, Braille Display, its history can go back to the work these two engineers have done. Especially like our second hands-on awardee, Dean Blazy. Brian, you've known Dean longer than me. Would you tell us a bit about his passion for Braille? I'm delighted to share some highlights about Dean's contribution to Braille. Dean's connection to blindness began at age 15 when he met a blind man named Tim Kramer at a ham radio meeting. Kramer was a, an inventor who would come up with product ideas to assist the blind, and Dean would build them. After, after getting his engineering degree, one of the companies that Dean founded was called Blazy Engineering. In 1987, the company launched a revolutionary product called the Braille and Speak, a portable note-taker that allowed blind people to type notes with a voice output. The Braille and Speak was the precursor to the device that Harbin uses today to communicate. When Dean sold his company to retire, Blazing Engineering was the largest accessible technology company in the world. Dean has continued to explore and develop new tools to improve the lives of the blind and visually impaired. And for the past seven years, Dean has volunteered at National Rail Press as a trustee and our senior engineer to build our Braille device, the B2G that you heard about earlier. Plus, he has been helping us to research full-page tablets for the blind. Ladies and gentlemen, please acknowledge hands-on awardee Dean Blazy. Thank you, guests. It's an honor to be here, and especially an honor to receive this award. There are a lot of people involved in the Braille to Go project, and I was just one of them. I'd like to acknowledge at least a few more of them. First, the brains, the, uh, the pushing behind the project, the real driving force of Brian McDonald. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed Brian did such a fantastic job of getting this product moving. 
and it really took that. Uh, another person highly involved with me in the technical side is Noel Runyon, blind fellow out in California, and Noel deserves a lot of uh, credit for this. Noel worked, uh, did a lot of work on uh, the human factors of the project, and he did a great job. Finally, I'd like to thank my wife, Marty, my beautiful wife, Marty, for, for putting up with me all these years. We've been married 49 years, and she generally tells me when I've had a few wines like tonight not to talk, but I wanted to thank her tonight especially. Uh, through these years, she's put up with a lot. So thank you all very much. It's been, again, a great honor for me, and I really enjoy the support from, in a, from National Braille Press and to, to be part of this project. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both, and congratulations again, Joe and Dean. Well, I, I hope you've been inspired tonight. Now it's time to have some fun. It's my pleasure. Yeah, that's right. It's my pleasure to introduce our entertainment for this evening, comedian Jack Gallagher. Jack started his career right here in comedy in Boston, a favorite of the talk show hosts Johnny Carson and Jay Leno, with a recurring role on HBO's Emmy-nominated Curb Your Enthusiasm, please give a warm welcome to fellow New Englander, Jack Gallagher. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Remain seated. Well, thank you for having me uh, here tonight. Congratulations to Joe and Dean on your awards. Uh, we're heading for, yeah, please, another round of applause. We're, <coughs> we're heading for a million laughs tonight. I was hoping Joe and Dean might have been a little bit funnier to kind of make it a little easier for me, but I'll try to make up the slack. I'm happy to be here. Like uh, Brian said, I grew up in uh, New England, Massachusetts, grew up down in West Bridgewater, so I'm always happy uh, to get back to Boston, and I, I left the Cape today to come here, and uh, yeah, uh, I made good time. <clears throat> Three hours to go 70 miles, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about myself, like I, like I said, native New Englander, uh, Uh, 
I have been married uh, for uh, 37 years. Uh, whoa, 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 stop. That's a total of three women, seven, 37, so come on. <laughs> you know. But I count them all because, you know, the whole alimony thing. So I'm, I'm... no, it's actually one, one person. I'm just going to grab this chair for a minute. My, uh, my wife, Jean, has uh, put up with me for 37 years. So I'm, uh, I'm also would like to thank the airline that I flew in on. I won't mention who they are, but God bless them. Uh, I lost my luggage, and they found it this morning and delivered it to me. And when I opened it up, my suit uh, was in a nice ball uh, that someone had put it in for me, seeing that it had been pressed nicely, and they apparently didn't want me to have that. I'm just getting grumpy. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. I'm old now, and I'm grumpy. I'm very old. And uh, I'll tell you how old I am. This is a true story. I was uh, home. I live in Sacramento, California. I was home recently. I'm upstairs in my house. I have two floors. Very, very successful. And... uh, (laughs) This is a true story, and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to uh, relate to this if you're my age or a little younger. Uh, I, I was upstairs. I dropped something on the floor. I spent a good 15, 20 seconds trying to figure out if that was important enough for me to bend over and pick up. <laughs> I did. I was like, I don't know. How badly do I need that? Well, the kids will be home soon. One of them could grab it for me. You know what I did? I'm serious. I kicked it over like this to the top of the stairs. I walked down enough stairs that I was level with the landing, and I picked it up. And that is genius, ladies and gentlemen. That's what that is. Do you know what the thing is about getting old? If you, it, it's, it, it creeps up on you. It happens so gradually that you don't even know it's happening until you can't do stuff anymore, right? Like, here's a good indication that you're getting old. If you can't get right out of bed in the morning... Think about this. You haven't thought about it because it's a gradual process. When you were like 18, 20, 25, how'd you get out of bed? It was like a two-step process. Threw back the covers, get out of the bed. It might have been one fluid motion. As you're throwing back the covers, you're getting out of the bed. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? Now it's three steps. Now you throw back the covers. Then you sit on the side of the bed for a couple of minutes. (sighs) (sighs) Woo! And you say stuff like this, I'm exhausted. Yeah, because that laying in one spot for eight hours, that'll kill you. And I'm making those noises I used to hear coming out of my dad's bedroom when I was a kid. I wasn't even sure it was a human making those noises. Sounded like somebody starting up farm machinery. Now I'm on the side of the bed. You ever jump out of bed because you're late? You look at the clock and go, oh, no, and you jump up, and suddenly, mysteriously, one leg is like six inches shorter than the other leg. <laughs> you're on the way to the bathroom going, well, I don't know. What? Here's how you know you're old. If you're walking to the bathroom consciously waiting for things to snap into place, if you're on the way to the bathroom thinking, I'm just going to wait till that knee, there we go, baby, all right. It's like, move, you ever get up in the morning and move your head around like this, and you can hear stuff snapping in your neck? It's like this. How many of those things are up there? It's got to be like a finite number of those. You're going to snap the last one. You're going to wake up someday and go, oh, jeez. Oh, my God, I stripped it. That's why you see old guys walking like that. How are you? Should have seen it coming. Turned into my father. I looked like my dad. Remember the first time your parents' voice came out of your mouth? Probably when you were yelling at your kids. Or maybe you were alone in a room by yourself, thought of something funny and laughed. (laughs) Dad? 
find yourself leaving the house with Bermuda shorts and those big black knee socks on thinking that's a good look. <laughs> but it's a good thing about getting older as a guy. One of the things you can do as a guy as you get older is you can tell the age of other older men by looking at them. Women don't have this ability. It's a testosterone-based event. But guys can do it. You have to apply a theory. It's very similar to like cutting a tree and then counting the rim, uh, rings to determine its age. With old guys, you can tell how old they are by how close their pants are to their neck. <laughs> you know that look? I got a guy who lives down the street from me, Elmer. He's about two weeks away from not needing a shirt. <laughs> Gonna yank that belt around his neck and call it a day. Yeah, I'm going to get my dad. By the time my dad died, he looked just like my granddad. He did. He walked like him. He talked like him. He had that granddad walk. You know the granddad walk? Every guy in this room is going to get it when you're like 85. You know what I'm talking about? Looks like they tied a rope to your navel and they're reeling you in. Yeah, come on, baby. That's a big one. And they, and they wave when they're coming at you. Like, you're going to have a problem getting out of their way. Technology makes me feel old. I hate computers. I do. I'm not good at it. It's a giant typewriter as far as I'm concerned. You know the thing that really makes me feel old with a computer? I'll tell you. It's not actually the technology itself. It's when I'm filling out a form online, and it asks for me for my year of birth, and that list of years pops up. <laughs> I got my finger on the mouse like a... Come on! I'm looking for 1953, not 1653. What is the problem? And I got to tell you, there's a whole section there, like in the 70s, I don't have any... Rem no. 72 to 75, I was around. I can't give you any details at all. I'm getting grumpy. And this is a bad time. You know, it's so, I'll tell you what, it's so nice to be in a room full of people who probably have different political persuasions, who probably have different cultural, but we're all getting along for one night, which is nice. It's so difficult during this period with this election. I'll be so happy on November 9th. I'm just so tired of this. Oh. Susan Warnick, who did a fantastic job tonight, hit it right on the head, you know. Working together, that's what you have to do. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I had lost so much the kind of confidence in people being nice to each other and working together. I had an incident happen about six months ago in Sacramento that I'm just going to divert for a second and tell you about. It restored my faith in humanity. I got up early one morning. I had to go somewhere, so I'm getting on the freeway. And in Sacramento, we have metering lights on the freeway. I don't know if they have them here, but you have metering lights, so one car at a time gets on. You have to wait at the light when it turns green so that it regulates the traffic. So it's very early in the morning, and there's probably 15 or 20 cars lined up, and we're all waiting. I don't know these people. They're Catholics, they're Protestants, they're Jews, they're Muslims, they're Asians, they're Caucasians, they're Hispanics, all different people. I don't know them. And we're all just waiting. And some guy pulls out a line from the back and goes right up to the front. And try, you know that move? Tries to nose in. And I'm going to tell you something. All these people who I didn't know, who didn't know each other, we all worked together. And we did not let that SOB in. <laughs> yes. Not today, my friend. 
People are too anxious to just want, they just want everything. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to, you know, you go to basketball games or football games and you see some guy in the stands, the, the camera always points, woohoo, we're number one. <laughs> okay, you're a little confused. They're number one, you're fat and drunk. Do you see the difference? I don't. <laughs> it's like when people say, hey, you know, the, the Patriots win a few games. We're doing really well. We. <laughs> then they lose to. They suck. Oh, you're not on the team anymore. What happened? Did you get cut? Oh, I'm so sorry for you. So anxious in this country. That's why that guy wanted to pull in. He wanted to be first. Everybody wants to be first. We're going to be number one. I'm tired of it. I'm old and I'm tired. I don't want to be first anymore. I don't. You know what I want to be? Next. I want to be perpetually next. Because think about it, that is a great feeling. Think about what it feels like when you're next. It generally comes after some long wait. You've been waiting in line, maybe at the bank, through that rat maze, back and forth, back and forth. Is this ever going to end? And then suddenly, you're next. Does it get any better than this? You're looking around. What window's going to open up? Doesn't matter. It's mine. I'm next. Sometimes I'll just let other people go ahead of me. You, go, go, go. I'm still next. <laughs> I think I'm grumpy because, you know, you have to put up with stupid people. That's a reality. There are stupid people. Do you know any stupid people? Do not look at this point to your left or your right. I know you're tempted. You're tempted to do one of these. Stuff drives me crazy. Here's what drives me crazy. This, this has been rectified. I have a smartphone now, and the best thing about the smartphone, as far as I'm concerned, is I can listen to my voicemail, and I can pick out where I want to listen to. You know what I mean? I can move to the middle, the end. Do you remember when you didn't have that option? And here's what used to drive me crazy. Perfect example. I drop my wife's car off to be fixed, and the guy says, I don't know when it'll be done, uh, but I'll give you a call, 2.30, 3 o'clock, let you know. He calls me, and he leaves all this information I don't need. I don't know why he's telling me half this stuff, but here's the phone call. Hey, Jack. This is Barry down Progressive Auto. I got your wife's car up on the lift, and uh, we're looking for a universal joint for that car. We're kind of having a tough time finding that. I got my best guy, Neil, working on that. He's going out to get lunch for everybody today. We're having Chinese today. The fellows voted for Chinese. I'm not a big Chinese fan myself. But they decided that what they wanted, so he's going to look for that. He's going to drop in and see his wife. She's got a bit of a cold, so he's going to check in. I'm thinking, what does this have to do with me? Get to the point. So if you could give me a call, I can tell you what's up with the car. So call me. Here's how he leaves his number. So call me. Six seven five six seven two. Poo. Why do people do that? It's not my number. I don't know it as well as you know it. Slow down. So now I have to listen to the whole message again. Hey Jack, this is Barry down Precision Auto. Now I've got a pencil. Go ahead, you son of a. Go ahead. I got you now. Go ahead. So call me. Six seven five. Oh, damn it! I missed it. Now I'm at home with the family. I got everybody around the phone. You take the first number, second number, third number. Here we go. Here we go. I think there was a P, Dad. I think he said P. God, whoever's over here laughing, I want you right up front. No. A lot of stupid people in the world. I had a problem. Certain, okay, so I don't want to look stupid. Okay, that's, I think, one of the big things in life with people you don't want. So I go to the doctor because I had a bad knee, and I, I was running, and I started riding a bike, and I had a bad knee. And the doctor says, you can't, you can't do any of that stuff anymore. But I said, I need to exercise. He said, uh, well, have you considered race walking? 
And I said, no, I have not. And he said, why? And I said, because I don't want to look like a dick, frankly. That's the reason for that. Have you seen the race walkers? It's an Olympic sport. They can't decide if they really want to be there or not. They kind of, they all look like they broke something at Pottery Barn. Go, 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 go. That's how they start the race. They break a vase. Oh, we're off. That is the worst impression of anybody race walking ever. No. Do you, do you, do you seriously know a lot of stupid people? Because if you don't, I have the, I have the cure. Have a yard sale. That's like moths to a flame. Stupid people to yard sales. I'm not kidding. Oh my goodness, the humanity. Here's how you do it. Make a sign. Yard sale, my house, Saturday, 8 a.m. Put it on a telephone pole and wait. You don't have to wait long. Because none of these people can tell time. Five o'clock in the morning, they're roaming your lawn like dawn of the dead. And they all do the same thing, right? They all look at your stuff and go, there, say, what do you got? What's this, a podium? Meh, meh, sorry. What, do you got a chair? What's this, a chair? Meh, I've seen better chairs. Then they all say the same thing. Eh, not a lot of good stuff here. No, you're right. In fact, this is all the crap we don't want. There's a lot of good stuff in the house. You're not going in there. You have failed to grasp the concept of the yard sale. <laughs> but if my plan works, you'll give me money to take my crap away. How beautiful is that? Come on, look around. My wife said to me a while ago, I think we should have another yard sale. The garage is full of stuff. And I said, no, no, no. I don't want these people knowing where I live. I don't. That, by the way, is not the way my wife talks. That is not her voice. I don't do impressions, so that's my woman's voice. She hates it. My wife hates it. She really, she says, it makes me sound stupid. Don't do it. I say, all right, I won't do it. You know, when you're in the room. It's okay for women to use that guy voice, though, isn't it, guys? You know the guy voice? The international guy voice that every woman uses to imitate her husband or boyfriend? You know the voice. Well, I asked him if he was going to fix the truck, and he said, Well, I might fix it, boy. See, we don't know we sound like that because your voice sounds different to you than it does to other people. I had a really, I'll tell you this story very quickly. I had a really weird incident. Uh, I, was, uh, I was taking my wife's car to be fixed again. So I park it, uh, I have to go to the CVS to pick up a prescription. And I park it in this parking lot near my home. This, it's got a bit of a shady area. There's some interesting characters that hang around there. And uh, I, I don't lose my temper. I don't, I'm not an angry person. But I, 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 it was a convertible, so I didn't lock the car because I figure if it's locked and somebody wants to get in it, they're going to slash the roof. And I don't want that to happen, right? So I am like, okay, it's unlocked. I come out of the drugstore. It's an absolutely true story. My wife loves me telling this story. I come out of the drugstore and I'm walking across the parking lot. It's maybe from here to the, the table 13. And as I'm walking across the parking lot, it looks like somebody's in my car. Oh, and I'm getting, oh. And the closer I get, to, there is, and my Irish is just building at this point, and I'm getting mad, man. And I get around the car, and I, and I get around the driver's door, and I see this butt sticking out of the car, blue jeans, flannel shirt, and I take my arm like this, and I get him a shiv in the side, and I said, what the do you think you're doing? And this person pulls out and turns around. 
it was my wife. I swear to you. She said, why are you hitting me? I said, I thought somebody was breaking into the car. What are you doing? She said, I saw my car here. I needed something in it for work, so I stopped and get it. Why are you hitting me? I said, I thought you were breaking into the car. And you know what she said to me? And that's how you treat people. (laughs) If they're breaking it into my car, that's how I treat them. And she said, you need help. So like I said, very happy to be here, really happy. I uh, love coming back to Boston. I love, I love everything about it. You know, I miss it being in California where everybody's actually just way too nice. You know, here, if you look at somebody the wrong way, there's a chance you're going to get beat up. That doesn't even happen out there. It's not even an option. And it, it, it doesn't, you're not on guard as much as you are here. But I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family. Um, we used to take those family vacations that you would take when there were more than six or seven kids in the family. Wouldn't go any place on an airplane. We drove everywhere we went. Yeah, my dad worked about 10 minutes from home, so when vacation time rolled around, you know, his idea of a vacation was 14 days of continuous driving. Seven days out, seven days in, you got three kids in the back on the bathroom in mayonnaise jars, because we're not stopping, baby! Seven kids in the back seat. We never stayed any place nice. We would drive and drive 18, 19 hours at a clip. We would drive until we would whine so much that they'd stop. But we never stayed any place nice. No, we never stayed any place where all the letters on the sign were lit up at the same time. That was considered a bad omen. We'd stay at moats. We'd stay at hotels. I'm sleeping in a bed with five other people. I have my own bed at home, but here I get to sleep with five other people. Lucky somebody got to sleep with my parents. And then we never slept in because we had to be in the car by the break of dawn before the sun went up. We have to be at the Bering Straits by noontime. My father be out there at 2, 6 o'clock in the morning. We're burning daylight! That's why it made sense to get up very early, go out and get a window seat. Yeah, because your brothers and sisters come out and say, slide over. <laughs> go to hell, slide over. You snooze, you lose! Mr. Humpman! That was the worst seat on that trip, wasn't it? Back seat, middle. Yeah, got to sit on the hump. Get hump butt. Worse than that, you're the only one your dad could get a real good look at in that rear view mirror. So it didn't matter who did it, you're going down for it. And the first few days when he's in a good mood, he'd just be saying, hey, hey, now come on back there, let's watch, hey. Then after about a week, hey. You'd have to pass it along. Jeez, I think he wants you to stop. And there were events that happened in that family that only happened in the family car. Heinous crimes that didn't happen anywhere else. Worst crime, kicking the back of dad's seat. Oh, not only made him mad, made him incredibly stupid. Yeah, you'd kick and you'd say, hey, who did that? (laughs) I I don't know, maybe the person directly behind you, Sherlock, what do you think? This was always the threat. You want me to come back there? Yes, sir. Bring that big butt of yours back here. That ought to put this trip right over the top. My uh, dad drove. My mom didn't drive. She sat shotgun. She wore the big floppy sun hat. Don't know why. We were never out in the sun. And she'd make lunch. We'd eat in the car every day because we couldn't have time to stop. My mother would buy, I'm not kidding, bologna. No, I'm sorry. Pickle loaf. Remember pickle loaf? Yeah. Had the green and red jujubes right there in the meat for you. You're having dessert while you're having your sandwich. Eat that pickle loaf Thursday, you're still going, 
Oh, I got that out of that tooth. My mother would buy pickle loaf, white bread, American cheese, and Miracle Whip. And she'd make the sandwiches on the door of the glove compartment. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Why don't you put that on the dashboard? Let that cheese melt just a little there, Mom. So we, well, it's actually a joke. Somebody said it's horrible. <laughs> Some of this is made up. I'll let you decide. So I don't uh, vacation in the car. We don't drive anywhere that's longer than like an hour in the car. Uh, I like vacation. Uh, this is a great place to have like vacation. Nice here by the waterfront. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, my wife likes to camp. I don't camp. Will not camp. I think camping uh, sucks, and I'll tell you why. No, you want to know why I think it does? I have a house. Why do I want to pretend I don't have a house? Do you think the homeless people call it camping? I don't think so. Oh, my wife loves it. Oh, we're getting back to nature. No, we're not. We can see the trees and smell the birds. Roll the window down. Same effect. Every now and then I like to rough it. We're not roughing it. All we're doing is taking really bad examples of the stuff we have at home out into the woods to make us wish we were at home. Right? I have a nice mattress at home. I'm in the woods with a headache blowing up an $8 airbag from Target. I have to pump that camp stove. You know that camp stove? You got to pump it like 120 times. Is it a pain in the neck or is it me? Look, look, I'm at home. Stove's on. And the food when you're camping. Mmm, mmm. How do you like your chicken? Just drop it on the ground a couple more times. That'd be great. <laughs> Our chicken tonight is being served with a light dirt sauce. Partially rinsed with a garden hose of unknown origin. Enjoy. Some people like it. Some people think it's a vacation. My wife, and, if, and, and God love you, if you think it's a vacation, more power to you because, you know, we need a food chain. I don't. I, I, my idea of a vacation is just slightly different than that, just imperceptibly different. You almost can't spot the differences. My idea of a vacation is taking a shower in a hotel, using all the sh towels they've given you for one shower, flinging them around the room and leaving. That's a vacation, <laughs> right? And then complaining at the desk, there are wet towels in my room. What kind of a place are you running here? My idea of a vacation is somebody waking up waking you up next to the pool saying, another margarita, that's the idea. See, you see the difference between that and camping? My idea of a vacation is not lying on the ground at a slight angle with a rock embedded in my back for eight fitful hours and then getting up with a full bladder and going to the bush to do my business. I was born in 1953. I like the flush plumbing, I'll admit it. I had a friend once heard me do this joke, and he sent me this camping catalog. He thought I'd get a kick out of it. It's this big, thick thing, like that big, and I get it every year, and it goes right into recycling. But the first year I got it, I'm thumbing through it to see if there's anything funny, and I'm thumbing from back to front. So the first thing I see is the, excuse me, upper right-hand corner of the thing. There's a, there's a picture of this thing with big, bold, black letters striped across. It says, new and improved which nothing can be. Can we please decide on that? 
Nothing can be new and improved. It's either new, hasn't been around before, or it's been around and you fixed it up. It can't be both new and improved. That's like going to the supermarket and it says 33% more shaving cream free. No, it's not. Unless you put that 33% in my hand and let me leave the store, I'm paying for it. This thing, has, this thing that I'm looking at is being considered a breakthrough in camping technology, right? This is huge. Somebody, I'm not kidding, has invented a portable blow-up toilet for camping. A portable blow-up toilet. Yeah. I'm blowing that thing up once. Second camping trip, I'm pretty sure that's somebody else's job. I'm going to be saying, I'll cut down a tree, I'll build a fire, I'll put up the tent, I'll kill a bear, I'll make dinner. Why don't you blow up that uh, toilet? How would that be? Would you enjoy that? <laughs> you guys have been very nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Let's have another round of applause for the very funny Jack Alger. Thank you. We've asked Jack to help uh, with the fund, so we're going to ask him to stay up and help us with the live auction. We have some incredible items for you to bid on. Each year, the gala raises a lot of needed funds for National Braille Press, and it's good to know that this evening of fun will benefit hundreds of children. Jack, are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's raise some money for Braille Literacy. Let's make some money. Thanks, Brian. I, uh, I just want to say before uh, we start, I do want to... Uh, Thank you for inviting me this evening. As the parent of a child with a disability, I have a son who's on the autism spectrum. Uh, it's great to see people together for a cause like this to raise money to help uh, certain individuals and hopefully kids. We have some great, great uh, items. I, I, I think you've probably seen the list of items. Before we do that, uh, Tom Sullivan could not be here tonight, and I believe we have a little message from him that we'd like to show you before we start. Thank you all for coming to this year's National Braille Press Gala. Remember, bid often and bid high. Thank you all again. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please uh, get your paddles ready because we have some amazing items and we want to make some money. So let's be generous. And our first item tonight, I'm going to go to the glasses, ladies and gentlemen, because without them, I'll be giving away items that belong in my home. Here we go. Number one, this is a relax and recharge in Cancun, Mexico, ladies and gentlemen. Take a look at these slides. This is a picturesque well, Casa Maya Resort. While the auction starts, and you can hear Jack in the background. It was funny. Jack was standing back here backstage. He was standing right behind us. And I thought he was waiting to be interviewed. And I said, can I help you? I said, who are you? He said, I'm Jack. I said, Jack who? He said, Jack, the guy that's waiting to get on. I said, okay, okay. That Jack, huh? <laughs> Anyways. Hey, um, this is the million... Oh, there it goes. See you later, Chris. Hey, why don't you call 857-244-2650. 857-244-2650. Again, 857-244-2650. And make a donation to National Braille Press. If the line is busy when you call, just call back. Um, I think we've got several operators there waiting for your call. It doesn't have to be a large donation. It can be rather modest. Hell, it could be $5, you know. Just just call 
and uh, you've heard a lot of good stuff tonight. Uh, incredible work of National Braille Press. They've got a tons of tons of products. We've got a list, whole list of uh, books that they've got available. They do uh, Christmas cards in Braille. That's one of their favorite items. They've got a lot of holiday products that you can uh, purchase at nbp.org, nbp.org. Jonathan Mosen has got a book uh, about Windows 10, about iOS Windows 10, I do believe. And uh, iOS Windows 10, it does make sense. Uh, Well, I I swear, on the same line, it said iOS and Windows 10. Maybe he talks about both things in this one book. (laughs) Knowing Jonathan, that... That could be right, but Jonathan's got a book that's National Braille Press is publishing, and so many other folks, so uh, all kinds of good stuff. Um, they're really laughing out there, so I, I wonder what's so funny. Let me just tune back up, see if we can catch a glimpse of, of why they're laughing. What are you going to do? For an extra 100 bucks, you go to Cancun one night, you stay in the room and order a pizza, that's all. 24, $2,500, 25, 26. Sir, you're done? I'll just let you go. You're 26. It's 26 to you. I got 25. I'm going to let you have it for 26. That's the kind of guy I am. 26, 25 in the front. Going to let it go. One time, two. Oh, look at you at the last minute for $2,600. You just want to slap him, don't you? He's a pretty good auctioneer. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. We'll have to get him at the ACB convention. Hey, you're listening to ACB live event, ACB radio live event, where a um, a service of the American Council of the Blind. We're real happy to have been here with you tonight. We thank National Braille Press, Brian McDonald and Joe Cantania and his whole crew, uh, uh, Elizabeth Kent and uh, the whole staff there at NPP uh, who was so gracious to us to allow us to be here and uh, uh, we've got a couple more interviews we're gonna we're gonna play for you here in a little bit once Lisa Marie's here and we've had a chance to talk to her it's been a good night it's been a really good night they're they're raising good good amount of money and again uh, you've heard all kinds of good stuff Hobbin uh, Gurma is just incredible she's an incredible incredible uh, person one word you've heard a lot tonight is the word tool um, I, you know, and for some reason, it's kind of jumping out off the page for me tonight. Hoppin yesterday when she was talking to kids, you know, she was talking about Braille as a tool. One of the questions was from the kids, is Braille a language? And uh, I, I think the question was couched, you know, American Sign Language is a language. So what about Braille? Is Braille a language? And Hoppin said, no, it's a tool. And, uh, you know, and, and then someone asked her, um, and this isn't in what I'm going to play, so I'll tell you anyways. Someone asked her, hey, Hobbin, if you had an opportunity to see and hear, would you take that opportunity? And Hobbin said, of course I would, because, you know, it, it's those two things are tools also. And I, I would like to have as many tools in my toolkit as I possibly can to work with. So, yeah, I, I, I would like to be able to see and hear if, if that were possible, but it isn't, and this is my reality, and I'm perfectly at ease with it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was incredible. You know, it, it just, um, just really, 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 really good stuff. Um, she's, uh, I, another thing she said, she talks, as you, as you heard, with a very high voice, and apparently she's got some hearing, but it's in the very, very high registers. 
Uh, so she doesn't hear a lot of the the low registers. Uh, she doesn't hear um, a lot of normal tone, tonality, and voices. But she will hear the upper register. So she taught herself to speak in that higher register so that she can hear herself. And um, <laughs> people knowing that, uh, it's funny because you'd expect people that knew that would go up to her and try to talk in high register, but no one was doing it. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, she, uh, she has this incredible sense of being able to communicate with people um, uh, in, 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 any, in any setting. Uh, I mean, really, really, really fantastic. So, anyways, I can't say enough good things. So hopefully some of that has inspired you tonight to uh, to donate to National Braille Press. You can call 857-244-2650, 857-244-2650, make a donation to National Braille Press. I think I'm going to be um, remembering that and uh, waking up in the middle of the night dialing that phone number myself, I think. We'll see uh, if in the middle of the night they're still answering that number. But uh, please do. And... Uh, Let's, let's see what Jack is saying here again. Hold on. And four tickets to see the Revolution and tickets to the Beanpot to watch your favorite Boston College hockey. One of the things that they are auctioning off tonight is a trip to American Ninja Warrior, um, which happens in Las Vegas. They film those things in Las Vegas, and they do it in the wintertime. Uh, Brian Charlson and I go to... Um, Vegas in February to do another uh, event there for one of the ACB affiliates, the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America affiliate, and we, we've never thought to go look for the American Ninja set. Um, it, 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 for all we know, they may be taping it while we're there, because whenever you watch it on TV in the spring and summer, uh, you always see people wrapped up in, in coats. And oftentimes, uh, their breath is visible, uh, even though it is Vegas. It does get kind of cool in Vegas there in, in the wintertime. So, any event, uh, someone's continuing to text me. I, I feel the little text thing going off uh, in my pocket. So, whoever's texting me, I'll be I'll be coming back at you here in a little in a little bit. So, uh, let's see. Let me uh, bring up that list of things that they gave me and that were the items that they wanted me to talk about tonight in terms of products the National Braille Press offers. Um, and if you're interested in any of these products, I'd encourage you to call that 857-244-2650 number and ask about them, inquire about them. Hold on just one second here. Are you done? And let me see. Yeah, they've got the tactile caliber. You heard them talk about that earlier. Uh, that's a kind of cool thing. Uh, hey, Lisa Marie. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Hi. I wasn't sure when to come back. <laughs> so how are you? When do I do it? And we'll start doing it right now. I just have one question for you. Uh, what was Hobbin like at 15? 
<laughs> she was a sweetheart. <laughs> she played violin and she just she was just she was very smart back then and and uh, she was just a sweetheart, really. Yeah, she's she's tremendous. I was with her yesterday at the school. Oh, how fun! And uh, it was incredibly fun. In fact, um, I've, uh, she's we, got a sick sense of humor. <laughs> oh yeah, and she's got this great giggle too. Uh, absolutely wonderful. So. Um, now, did you come here with her? Or? No. No? Because she's out in California, yes, right? She lives yes, in California. Yeah. And you're from what? You're from also San Francisco? from the same area as she is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think she's living in Berkeley right now. Right, right. So what do you think of the gala tonight? It's been a lot of fun. I, it, I, I'm glad to be here this time around instead of listening virtually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you listen to us last year? I did. I well, did. thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we're happy to be here, ACB Radio, so we're, we're happy to bring it to, to folks that aren't able to be here. But uh, And we've been telling everybody uh, to donate to the National Braille Press, and we've had some pretty good response to that tonight, so that's that's very, very good. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a worthy cause. I raised my paddle earlier and donated more than I thought I would, but I did. And uh, National Braille Press is just an amazing organization. I'm proud to be a board of trustee. Um, I love all the books that I uh, scout out at every convention, and whenever I see NBP at a at a in, a in an exhibit hall, I have to go buy whatever book I don't own. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, does anybody out at the lighthouse have the B two G? I've seen it, but nobody at the lighthouse has one. So, right. Um, I'd love to to get. Uh, a B2G for the the lighthouse to right. check out and show to our clients as a, an affordable braille display, a braille note taker. We see a lot of people every year, so um, it'd be a great thing to, to show off. How many clients do you have in a typical year? How many clients are there in a year? We we see about three thousand people all across Northern California. Wow. So, how, how long are you in the Boston area? You know, I came last night. I I got to hang out all day today. I went to the Perkins School, took a tour. Oh, cool. Went to National Braille Press and took a tour. And now I'm at this wonderful gala. And uh, tomorrow I go back home. <laughs> <laughs> got to do the Halloween thing with the kiddos. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have? I have two and a half. I have a third one on the way. Well, congratulations. <laughs> how old are the other two? A five and a half year old and a one and a half-year-old. Oh, great, great, And great, great. Uh, we're excited about Halloween because the oldest decided we were going to be a, a family of vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so you take them out trick-or-treating? Yes. Oh, yes, fantastic. Yeah, and this is going to be the first year our little one really kind of gets Halloween. Right. Um, so that's going to be really entertaining. The, the first one where they really get the idea of candy, <laughs> you know, it, it's always the, the really interesting Halloween, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my kids got pretty smart pretty quick. You know, we um, we would barter their candy away, and <laughs> we we try to get the good stuff and let them keep the bad stuff. You, but, you but, know, but, but my, they they figured that out pretty my quick. My five year 
world is really not into candy unless it's chocolate. Really? really? Oh, unless it's chocolate. <laughs> he's a chocolate fan. So, but he's he's actually still really good about asking you for his, you know permission before he could open one. Right. So right. I don't know how long that'll last, but I love it while it's while it's happening. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Well, enjoy the kids and congratulations on the Thank third you. one. I, I've Thank got two daughters, but they're they're big and they don't stay um, they don't stay small very long. No, they don't. You know? <laughs> so they're they're precious though. What, what, how old was your five year old? How old did your uh, oldest one start talking? Um, he was a very verbal child, very young. He yeah. he was saying many many words at 15 months old. He yeah. started to read at three. Yeah. Um, he's a smarty pants, and um, our second one is also a smarty pants in a very different way. He's the problem solver and probably future engineer in our family. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Sounds similar to my family. My, my oldest daughter is on the autism scale, and she started talking in full sentences at 18 months. Wow. And, and perfect English, and she's very good with languages. And um, the uh, youngest one is at uh, Rensselaer Polytech Institute in Troy, New York, studying to be an engineer. So Wonderful. So, when yeah. did she start talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, she was a little bit later. Okay. I, yeah, there, there's there, hope. <laughs> there's there's funny, funny stories about her. She, uh, she it took a long time for her to talk, but, uh, but we, we won't get into those. So, so, so you spent some money tonight, so that's good. I sure so, did. So why don't you ins- uh, just... Uh, encourage everybody to give a pitch here. Ab- absolutely um, you know I have been blind for 30 years of my 35 years and uh, Braille has been a huge part of my life it's been um, probably the biggest reason why I'm, I'm successful in, in work and in life um, I love Braille I t- I've taught it to well I'm not exactly teaching it to my children but it's it's in their lives and right. we have so many, many print Braille books, most of them from National Braille Press at home. My children sleep with their books. My 18-month-old has about six books under his bed, and when we say it's time to read a book, he dives under there, and the first one he always grabs is the foot book by Dr. Seuss. That's his favorite. <laughs> and and then the next one is Five Little Monkeys, and uh, he just, he loves his books, and he loves to flip through the pages, and, and for me, as a blind parent, being able to read um, Braille to my children who can read the print and see the pictures at the same time that I'm reading the book, it's it's really amazing. I love right. sitting with my kids on my lap and my arms around them and the book on both of our laps. And right. We just right. read together and right. it's very, really, really special in our house and NBB NBP has been a big part of that. So um, if you love Braille and you love the idea of giving uh, literacy to blind children and helping blind parents and blind grandparents uh, share their love of literacy with their children or grandchildren, then there's no better cause than to give to National Braille Press. Well, hey, that was a great pitch. <laughs> that was great. We've got that recorded, so we're going we're gonna to give that to Brian awesome. and say, here you go, you can use this again. But, but yeah, please call at 856. 857- Seven two six no two. Let's see if I get it right. Eight five seven two four four two six five zero, eight five seven two four four two six five zero, and make a donation. Doesn't have to be anything bigger. Uh, you know, I mean, people here are donating in all kinds of amounts, and uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to get anything from you. And uh, of course, uh, be happy to uh, 
hear from you, and and uh, they'll reach out to you in the future too. I'm sure. So uh, I don't know. They're playing some kind of a video now. Let's see what this is all about. I don't know, but it's shaking the table. My husband is Tom What the hell is going on? Oh, it's. I think it's. Uh, Something to do with an auction item, so I, I, I'm not sure exactly. How I isn't there an auction item like the behind the scenes or something? Yeah, well, there there was one auction item where you could uh, have your name in a book, in an author's book, Ooh. and I, I don't know who the Kim Charlson. Do you know Kim Charlson? I, I I've spoken with her, and I have, um, but I've never met her. Yeah, because she's uh, she's the director of the Talking Book Library there at Perkins. So um, so she was all excited about, uh, she said she was going to be willing to, to bet on that tonight. That's so, really cool. Yeah. I'd love my name in a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. They've got this whole room. You can, you can feel the, the bass vibrations, you know. Now, uh, now, are you a dancer like Hobbin? I do enjoy dancing. In fact, um, in high school, for three years, I danced with our show choir. Oh, cool. um, so we, we sang and we danced and we performed at festivals. And, um, and then later in post-college, um, when I moved up to the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, that is, um, I participated in this really cool program called Connecting Through Dance, uh-huh. where they paired um, blind and visually impaired people with sighted guide dancers, and we would put on different performances and uh, oh, great. use it as a fundraiser. So I got exposed to dances I had never heard of, like the Paso Doble. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, so. you know, when I heard Hobbin talking today, it's like dancing with the stars, you know? Yeah. That's what she had to go do. <laughs> but what, she didn't talk about her um, her exploits surfing tonight, I don't think. She's done it. I don't know too much about her, her surfing exploits. <laughs> I, I've grow, you know, I grew up in Southern California, and my high school was literally five blocks from the beach. You could see the waves while walking down the, the hallway, and I am sad to admit that I, I don't even really swim. I can stay in water and not drown, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't I'm even know how way. to swim, really. So let alone, let alone stand on a surfboard. Well, Lisa Marie, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Same you here. so Thank much. Thank you so much. And don't forget to donate to National Braille Press. Yes, please do. You can call 857-244-2650, 857-244-2650, and uh, make a donation, just like Lisa Marie asked you to do, told you to do. So um, have a good trip back to California, by the way. You. You're very welcome. This is the National Braille Press 2016 Million Laughs for Literacy Gala. And we're going to be going here for a little while longer. Uh, Joe Cantania is supposed to come by and stop by. But I think what we're going to do now is we're going to switch to, a, to an interview. The interview we did with Joe Sullivan. I have the pleasure of being here with Joe Sullivan, who's had an extraordinary career in the software field for the blindness community. Hi, Joe. How are you doing, Jake? Mm. Uh, welcome to ACB Radio. It's great to have you here. And Joe, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about what your uh, your product is, the Duxbury product? Uh, I know we've got some listeners today who uh, may not be totally familiar with, with Duxbury, some folks that are thinking about donating to uh, National Braille Press. And uh, let's give them some reason to do that. 
Well, our software is uh, designed to run typically on uh, ordinary computers, laptops, and larger. And uh, its purpose is to convert between print and Braille. Uh, it works, of course. Uh, it's just software. It doesn't do the actual embossing. Uh, that's that's left up to uh, special printers that that that, uh, that do that. But uh, we handle the sometimes pretty complex task of converting from print files that could be Word files or something of that sort into uh, a file suitable for Braille embossing. And we also go the other way, which is uh, increasingly important uh, when you have a situation where a uh, blind person might be keying Braille into a uh, Braille uh, note taker or such a similar device that can be connected to a computer and then we can actually go in the other direction and uh, convert to, uh, to print, which of course works uh, uh, well when you're in a, say, a classroom situation where a blind student needs to prepare something that a sighted teacher might read or vice versa. What drew you, Joe, into this type of work? Well, it, it actually started back when uh, I was working with a an Air Force uh, think tank, Air Force-oriented think tank called MITRE Corporation. They're based in Bedford, very good company that works, obviously, on military work. And uh, I was deeply involved in that, very interesting. But um, I found myself thinking, this is uh, necessary work, but boy, I hope this never has to be used. And uh, I asked my boss, who was fortunately very sympathetic, uh, that... Uh, could I do some work on a on a project that would be useful <laughs> in in, in uh, real time, the current time? Uh, and uh, he said, you know, we have a project that uh, just got started. A blind colleague of mine, Bob Gilday, had just set up a little project uh, with the uh, MIT and uh, with the Atlanta Public Schools to see if it was possible to to uh, develop a Braille translator. Well, this was like 1969. And remember the, in those days, uh, computers filled rooms and sometimes even whole buildings, but they were probably much less uh, capable than your typical uh, phone these days. In any case, uh, people weren't sure that that the uh, Braille that that the conversion between Braille and print could be automated. Now it's taken for granted. It's not really a, a cutting edge. Uh, science anymore, but in those days it was doubtful um, because so much of Braille depends upon sound and meaning. So we set out to uh, a small group of us, uh, uh, headed by Bob Gilday, set out to prove it could be done by doing it, and we developed a program called DOTSIS-3, uh, which was the first really portable Braille translator that was built to handle uh, handle English text in a uh, general sense that it wasn't it wasn't based upon uh, uh, a, a large dictionary of words which had, that that had been done but it, that that uh, uh, we felt was not general enough to just hand out to people who couldn't help maintain such a system. So that was the the beginning. Dotsis three came out in seventy uh, one, I believe it was. And by 75, Bob and, Bob and I began to think along the lines that maybe this could be useful to, uh, or maybe even on a commercial basis for sustainability, uh, to uh, rail printing houses uh, throughout the world could be probably 
at the most about 20 or 30 at that time but not a very large market but we thought about setting up a small company we joined forces with a professor at MIT Ann Simpson who had a computer in her house in uh, Duxbury that's where the name came from uh, because she was doing uh, work on uh, oil, with oil exploration she was a geologist herself and uh, software expert. So we, uh, we set out at that point and developed the first Duxbury Braille translator in the 19, 1975 time frame. Installed the first one in 1976 and this went on from there. And National Braille Press was one of our first customers. They were, I think, a 78, 79 time frame. The Bill Raider approached us and said, he's a very forward-thinking individual and uh, but I started working with them in a very, uh, very good partnership. I mean, how many, how many software products are there in the world these days that have lasted as long as yours has? <laughs> no, it's true. There is some code in there that, that I wrote back in those days. I wrote it originally in Fortran, but converted it rather, rather uh, a straightforward way to, to see. And it's still there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. We used to call that. We used to call call that golden code where I worked. Yeah. You know, it's like don't go there, don't open it up. It works. Yeah, but I have to admit, my son Peter does most of uh, it. Way, way more of his code in, in DBT these days than mine, and many other people do. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's, it's, I, I'm just a small part of the operation at this point. Yeah. Well, let's kind of put this in perspective for folks. I mean, 75, I I started in IT in 77 on IBM mainframes and the whole thought of PCs. And I mean, there was uh, at some point Radio Shack came out with something um, in the 80s, I think it was. But you've evolved through all these different phases of technology with this product. Yes, it, it's uh, so much has changed through the years. Uh, Obviously, the operating systems and the well, physical computers are the most obvious thing that change. And uh, uh, but for us, actually, sometimes what's more significant is the is the software environment as it changes around us. The operating system changes, and of course, the uh, the ways that files are encoded to hold print and braille too, uh, change. Uh, the standards change, people's expectations change as to how it works, and so on. And then, you know, the environments change in the sense that we're now working with over 130 languages. We've started the following year, actually. That's that's absolutely incredible. And congratulations for that. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, but again, most of the credit goes to other people. We don't speak these other languages. We work with other people who know, who, who do, of course, speak those languages and, and know the Braille codes in those languages and... Uh, and uh, that's a really interesting fact in itself, actually. Probably one of the, one of the most rewarding aspects of this work is just the work of wonderful people all over the world who care about Braille, who care about what they do, and, uh, and uh, to you know, just the interaction and getting things to work. It's just about very satisfying. Joe, what was your involvement in the development of UEB? Well, I was asked by Darlene Bogart, who was the overall chair of the project, to, uh, to head up the, the uh, uh, subcommittee that actually did the design work. It was called uh, Expanding the Braille Code, 
base code, sorry, understanding the base code, because we all understood that the base code for English Braille was really the literary code. That's what, you know, everyone learns to start with, and it's what people use 99% of the time as they're, as they're uh, uh, reading. And so the idea, whole idea of you, the, the U and unif- UEB means unified, and the original meaning of unified was to bring together the literary code and what was then the separate uh, Nemeth code for math and also a separate computer braille code into a single code so that uh, people could read these different kinds of notation in a single braille code without having to learn another code or switch, you know, switch uh, their, their mindset as they went for reading along or writing. And uh, that was the original intent. Now, it came to mean something more when we... Uh, that, it started, by the way, with the, the Braille Authority of North America project. And uh, I was, as, as I say, chair of this committee, but I took my responsibility not to be... You know, I participated in the, in the uh, uh, technical aspect because it was a very small committee originally, just four people. But we, uh, but I thought of my main responsibility was to sit back and listen because we, if that committee always uh, was, compi- was comprised of a uh, majority of blind people who use Braille, and of course, uh, and that's not me. And I figured this is this is mainly what they want, not what I want, and so I have to listen and his help guide this along, so uh, that's, that is the primary responsibility of a chairman anyway, of course. And so uh, that's what we did, and later it got expanded uh, to a project of the International Council on English Braille, and you, the, the U and UEB then took on a new meaning because we were now unifying not just the three Amer- you know, primary American codes, not counting the music code. Uh, which we uh, uh, had excluded from the beginning as something that we would try to integrate. But also to bring together the, uh, uh, the, the different, very different codes being used in, in Britain and some of the uh, places like uh, South Africa and Australia where the essentially British codes were being used. The British math code was very, very different from the Nimitz code and the computer braille code that they had also there was again extremely different. The only commonality really was that was that we were using very similar literary codes. They weren't identical, but they were pretty similar. So we are now trying to unify not only the technically technical and literary fields, but the different national uh, conventions. And uh, that of course added another whole dimension. The committee that I was chairing expanded to eight people total, uh, and again we, we carried on with the with the concept that there should always be a majority of blind Braille users on that committee that make make I'm sure that we weren't just going with someone's bright idea about what should be done, but rather doing what was really uh, necessary and acceptable to, to blind people. Yeah, very interesting project. I must admit, to me, it's just—I I feel it was one of the most worthwhile things I've ever been, been involved in because it did set the stage for the unification. It eventually, not only of English, but by the way, it's being 
used as the basis now for the unification of many other languages. All 11 languages in South, uh, official languages in South Africa, for example, a number of other languages in, in Africa, and even in even Mongolia, uh, not to mention you know, Ireland and many other places where uh, uh, different languages are spoken. Uh, UEB is being uh, used as the basis. Not not exactly UEB, of course, because uh, you know, English contractions and so forth don't apply uh, to other languages, but. Uh, the basis in terms of its principles and much of the symbology, especially in the technical fields of math and science. Yeah, I, I found out about BANA a bunch of years ago. I'm close friends with Kim and Brian Charlson, became friends with yeah. them uh, about 10 years ago now. And of course, Kim was very, very involved in BANA and continues to be very, very close to the whole topic of UEB. Yeah, she has been. She has been. Very, very good uh, ally and feedback uh, as to you know, what should be done and so forth. We've been very involved. Well, Joe, this has been very enlightening. I really, really appreciate your time. Congratulations on the award. Thank you. Um, is there anything you want to say about your relationship with National Braille Press before we're done? Absolutely. Uh, they, they, as I say, they were one of our earliest customers, and uh, they've, they've been certainly a very valued customer, but more than a customer because their encouragement through the years, uh, uh, Bill, Bill Rader's commitment to, to innovation and, and, and now Brian, uh, have, have been inspiring to us. I remember the early days of Jiffy Braille when <laughs> people, we set up a system at MVP where people could, could phone in text and get it Braille quickly. Uh, and those old telephone modems. Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and especially too, the uh, the professional staff there has helped us enormously with the feedback and helping us to understand what was really needed. Let's you know to make sure that we were we were staying with the standards, uh, doing things right, and helping us just to see where we could improve. Make improvements has been a great help to us throughout the years. Wonderful relationship for us. Yeah, I'm sure you know Chris Devon. Chris works there, and you know we say he was around before Google. If you wanted to know yes. something, you just ask Chris. <laughs> oh, Chris has, has so often uh, popped up with you know an answer that we were searching for and just just couldn't find. I mean, you don't need a statistics book or anything. You just ask Chris, and he's always got the answer. I mean, it's uncanny. It's uncanny, but but he's great. So, well, Joe, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and enjoy the rest of the gala. Thank you very much. I certainly appreciate it. It's been very humbling because I say the credit goes to so many other people, including MVP itself, for what's been happening. Got Joe Cantania that just stopped by. Hi, hey, Joe. Hey, Rick. How are you? How's everybody in ACB Radio oh, Land? Oh, it's, it's going great uh, as far as I can tell. So Great. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for being here, Rick, again and broadcasting this great evening. It's been a great celebration of Braille literacy and uh, Haben is uh, an embodiment of A, what perseverance will get you, B, how the power of Braille really translates or, or just transcends literacy, how it just rounds off one's life. And uh, she's also wise beyond her years. Uh, she's just an amazing woman. And um, I think one of the things that I enjoyed the most for our our, vision, our sighted audience and attendees in, in this room, they really got to see how Braille 
is so is powerful. Uh, they got to see on on big screens, Hobbin and Lisa Maria reading Braille, but then for some of the audience members to interact with Hobbin directly by typing on a QWERTY keyboard and then Hobbin reading it on our Braille note taker and speaking with them, it just just amazing stuff. No, Hobbin was great, and Hobbin was great yesterday too. Uh, she did a great job with the kids. Uh, you know, as she said in her. One of her answers: um, the kids uh, are not filtered, and they they are fearless in asking questions. And I think they learned a lot uh, from her answers. And we're happy to have had her be a part of our team tonight to raise money for Braille literacy for NBP, so that we can continue to produce books for blind kids. Uh, some of our own publications, like Harry Potter, uh, is going to come out, as well as some of our new publications, the Android Phone Book. Uh, things that can talk to you will be coming out as well. The favorite amongst kids and adults, the uh, Peanuts calendar coming up for the 2017 calendar. We have those available. So a lot of it we are able to do because of fundraising and donations that are made and make the availability through uh, you know pricing that's affordable and it's donations like people in this room. And if any of you out there are listening and want to be a part of tonight, and celebrate Braille Literacy by making a donation, please call uh, 857-244-2650. Is that right, Rick? That's correct. Yep. Yep, 857-244-2650. We have volunteers for the next 10, 15 minutes to take your call. And if you're able to make a donation, no matter whether it's uh, $5, $50, or $100, it makes a huge difference in our ability to do our work. But also for you or blind children, blind adults, people you know, have access to that material, read to their grandkids, read to their children, and not have to pay through the nose uh, for it. And uh, it's all because of you. It's You, the listeners, the donors, are able to to make a big difference, uh, not only in our lives, but people you don't even know. Good. Hey, Jack Gallagher was fun tonight. He was, you know, he's a pretty, pretty good guy. Uh, he's, he's a local guy from Braintree. Uh, I'm sorry, West Bridgewater. He's got a son with uh, autism, so he's he's got a, a affinity for uh, people with disabilities. And uh, you know, I think we, sometimes with comedy, it's hard to not do uh, physical comedy. And there are some parts where um, he did do some physical comedy. And then there were other parts where I think he did better than some of uh, other comedians where he described what he was doing. So right. uh, I hope for those of you who are listening, enjoyed him as much as everybody in the room did. He, my, my favorite joke was the one about it, it, he likes being next. <laughs> he doesn't like being number one anymore. He just wants to be next. Uh, I know the feeling, particularly <laughs> at airports. <laughs> at airports. I, lo- and, I know that at, feeling. And at the Flower Bakery place oh, that we went r- to yesterday. Right. Uh, Joanne Chang uh, is uh, the uh, proprietor of Flower Bakery, and it's one of uh, Hobbin's favorite spots. And so one of the things she remembers the most about going to Harvard Law is Flower Bakery and their brownies. And uh, we, we had the, uh, the pleasure of having lunch with her yesterday, and the, the people at Flower Bakery in Copley Square were really uh, accommodating to us. Oh, they were super. And uh, it, it just it's, it's great to, uh, you know, it, today, it's a Friday night, but it feels like it's, uh, it's been a week-long celebration of Braille literacy with uh, educating the kids that are, uh, and parents. We actually had about 20 parents yesterday 
along with 74th graders, all these kids were, you know, cited, parents were cited, come and learn about Braille literacy and about people who are deafblind, the blind community. And they were so moved and inspired. And uh, as Hobbin's message is, be inclusive, be a part of it, do your part. Uh, it was great to see those new people come. And uh, I ask uh, you all listening, uh, if you'd like to do your part and be a uh, part of this celebration, make a donation, please do so by calling 857-244-2650. And, um, you know, it, it kind of feels uh, not anticlimactic yet, but it's kind of, I wish the, the, uh, the event would keep going on. I, I hope everybody who <laughs> listened tonight feels the same way. This was really fun and exciting. It is a lot of fun. And Joe, thank you so much for having us again here, ACB Radio. We're thrilled to be here. Oh, it's a, I'm glad we're able to have this partnership. Uh, one of the things that I've come to know uh, by working at National Press is that everywhere we've gone to for luncheons or meeting with our customers, our Braille readers, uh, people love NBP and they want to be a part of it as much as they can. And I'm glad that we were able to partner with you, Rick, and ACB Radio to bring this celebration to them. And I hope a lot of you enjoyed it. And uh, we've, we've, uh, we did the annual meeting for us last year with you guys. Hope we won't do it again this year and uh, bigger and better next year for the, ga- uh, for the gala. Well, thanks, Joe. It's, uh, it's been our pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Great, Rick. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening and uh, being supportive of National Braille Press. Okay. Thanks, Joe. That was Joe Cantania, uh, Susan Warnick. Uh, butchered his name a little bit tonight, but uh, Ian Gina Russo, his fiancée, uh, made a donation, and they were one of the sponsors that were mentioned early on by Susan Warnick. So that was very, uh, very, very nice of, of Joe. But what I did promise you all, and I'm going to do it, um, I'm going to deliver. We've got Hobbin um, talking to the kids yesterday. Now, I will warn you that the uh, quality of the recording isn't, uh, isn't as good as um, we had hoped it would be. Um, we were recording at a distance, but uh, you can understand her, her answers quite clearly. And what we did was um, took... All of her answers to the kids' questions and str- just strung them together like she was doing one line uh, long dialogue about various aspects of her life and answering the kids' questions. And uh, take a listen. I think you'll enjoy.
that about wraps it up for tonight, everybody. Thanks for listening to the National Braille Press Million Laps for Literacy Gala. Thanks, everybody, and uh, thanks for your support of National Braille Press. Um, You can still call at 857-244-2650. 857-244-2650. Thank you very much, and take care. We'll see you next year.